In a world where two duck fans wanted to record a podcast about Oregon duck sports and other stuff, this, this podcast is what they came up with. I know, it's not very good, but it's the best they could do. Anyway, welcome to the flock. We lost a few games, tough. That was District 5. Now we're the ducks. Yeah. And the ducks... Yeah. Are undefeated. Oh, right. yeah. Quack. 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 Welcome, everybody, to the Flock Pod. Hashtag 040. We made it, Shane. Episode 40. We're there. We're here. Almost. I mean, we're almost to the 50. You know, point. We're, we're 10 away from the mm-hmm. magic 50. You know, we're almost there. That was our goal. So we're going to get there. Though. 40 does feel good. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm 35. I don't, 40, I don't know how good 40 is really going to feel. You know, I'm already <laughs> kind of sore. I'm snap, crackle, popping as I move around. Things like that. But anyway, we are at the Flock Pod on all of those major social media platforms. Please go give us a like on Instagram. Go give us a follow on Twitter. Go join our little Facebook page. Let's get some conversation going there. That'd be really fun. Especially in these times, you know? Exactly. Get some, get some duck talk. Going. Yeah, let's give some let's give some uh, duck content out there. I myself am at Coach Justin D on all of those major social media platforms. Shane, I am tell them where Shane you are. Potter six on the Twitter. <laughs> we gotta work on that. We gotta and, work on that. <laughs> and at Walk of Flock of Shane six on Instagram. Of course, just Shane Potter on Facebook. Yes. So go, please give us a like. Please help share the podcast. Uh, we're working hard here to give you guys some quality content. And if there's more that you want to hear or you don't like what we have to say, like find us, you know, give us some feedback. Um, you can also send us an email at the, or excuse me, theflockpod at gmail.com. There we go. I got kind of threw around yeah. on the whole at symbol there. <laughs> um, but we made it. We made it together, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what's important is we're together during these times while staying apart. So, we have a really fun podcast today. We're going to do another uh, Requackables for you, going back and watching the 03 game, Michigan versus Oregon and Autzen Stadium. Real barn burner of a game. Kind of a, uh, oh, how would you put it? Kind of a landmark game. A landmark game, I think, in Oregon football history. Maybe yeah. even in Oregon sports history. Absolutely, yeah. And it is wacky yeah it's a wacky game you Uh know which is definitely a theme in a lot of the games that we've come back to (laughs) rewatch, and a lot of games in oregon history let's be honest let's be real um before we get into that we do have a quick walk around the flock for you some definite news still floating out around there and might as well let's just jump right into it um a lot of transfer news coming out here for oregon here this last week Um, time of the year yeah since today is a football podcast why don't we go ahead and focus on the big football transfer first um anthony brown coming in from boston college the graduate transfer i believe has one year of eligibility left yeah it looks like he got hurt last season okay um but he played three years at boston college uh last season he only played six games so i'm assuming he got hurt but his numbers look pretty good he's listed as a dual threat quarterback not a ton of rushing attempts um last season he had 33 in the six games that he had which would have beat his previous uh career high of 54 attempts 
Um, not a huge rushing threat, numbers. Though. Yeah, more of a rushing threat as opposed to a rushing quarterback. I feel like yeah. that's kind of a big difference. He even has at least one reception per season in college. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, maybe, maybe some, some trick plays yeah, there. Some yeah, trickage. Some, some trickeration, if you <laughs> will. So it's definitely a very full quarterback room for Oregon um, with him coming in and the rest of the guys with, you know, Butterfield. And uh, obviously Shook, you know, mm-hmm. there. My guy, Ty Thompson, coming in. Um, I've claimed him. He's my guy. Ty Thompson is <laughs> you going claimed to be. Him last yeah, week. He's yeah. my guy. He's definitely going to be my guy. Got to root for the Mesquite Wildcat. Um, he may not be my guy, you know, starting this year per se. Um, I think Shook's going to get that honor. But we'll see. You know, this is really interesting now to bring in some more competition. And it fits with the theme that Cristobal has shown throughout his, you know, brief tenure here at Oregon. That competition is going to breed his style and bring out the best in the guys that he wants to put out on the field. It was something they were uh, really keen on in the around the spring camp that was starting to get rolling when all of this stuff kind of uh, yep. derailed everything. Yep. But that was a lot of what they were talking about, even with the quarterbacks that they had at that time. So adding an extra piece in there and a guy who's game tested, game ready, uh, Butterfield, and you know your guy, uh, sorry, Blaine Thompson, baby, Thompson, you know. It, it's a good opportunity to potentially redshirt one, if not both of them. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And it's interesting that Oregon was interested in so many of these quarterbacks out there in the transfer portal. You hate to say this. Does it maybe show they're not as confident in Mr. Shook as maybe people outside the program think they are? You know, bringing in a guy like this. And it, that's kind of, I'm doing the media thing. You right, know, right, Kind right. of playing that angle, if you will. We don't know anything, obviously, what's really going on behind the scenes. But uh, where there's smoke, there's fire a lot of times. And I don't know if Oregon would be out there hot and heavy on, on top of a lot of these guys if they were more confident in Mr. Shook. Yeah, they, there's no like real anybody coming out with anything definite about exactly. Shook. But yeah. he, he was you know, the other starting quarterback in last year's spring game. Uh, it seemed like he was the guy that was being groomed to take over, kind of the heir apparent for Justin Herbert. But it's it's also his college football, so there's a lot of moving parts there. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of variables. And like I mean, like we said before, just it could be a way to light a fire underneath his behind where, you know, maybe they saw that being an issue, you know, after Herbert leaving, you know, being complacent with thinking you're getting that starting mm-hmm. role. So bringing in a guy like Anthony Brown, guy who has one year left of eligibility who probably wants to see the field again absolutely and that had to be something they were talked about in the process of bringing him in mm-hmm. so we'll see and also i mean as we're gonna get to uh later in the podcast with this game recap you know two quarterback threats are pretty cool you it know? can work especially with a senior sophomore combination Weird. You know, that's, that's a nice little uh, i see what you did there i like <laughs> i like what you did there shane um, so it'll be interesting to see how that whole quarterback battle plays out. But again, Cristobal staying to his roots here of competition. This is a guy that's brought in two kickers. This yeah. is a guy that wants competition at every single level of this program. And I love it. I love what he's doing, um, building that in. Speaking of competition, another guy that's going to come into the University of Oregon have a chance to really compete for some minutes next year, um, Aaron Estrada. This is a guy that we talked about, I think, on last week's podcast. Sure did. Yep. Uh, prefaced him. Um, Oregon was really high on his list. And he did commit this last week, coming in from St. Peter's. Uh, I think he was six foot four, six foot five guard. Six four, yeah. Six four guard coming in. Uh, he's going to have three years of eligibility. This is a good get for Dana. Uh, we were kind of looking at next year's roster and just kind of how he might fit in. And definitely, you know, we imagine Will Richardson is coming back. CJ Walker is kind of a guy that we're not sure about yet. He kind of had that ominous, you said it was a tweet earlier this week. Yeah. And it, it 
the way it was, I mean, it didn't really say anything, but it seemed like it was him kind of saying that he was going to come Twitter's good at that. Yeah, alluding to <laughs> a little bit. I mean, just not saying anything important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Addison Patterson, Addy Patty, as I've come to uh, lovingly refer to him as, is going to have an opportunity to really compete. And then Chris Duarte, you know, definitely coming back for his senior year next year. Also, you would have to imagine that Duarte and Richardson are probably penciled in as the starting backcourt. Right, if, if they do leave college basketball... Uh, you never really know. You Guys leave based on potential. We've talked about Nfali Dante potentially leaving. Uh, I wouldn't have been shocked if CJ Walker left, even with the up and down season mm-hmm. that he had mm-hmm. and how he really leaves a lot to be desired still watching him play. But with the way the draft goes and then the way of the transfer portal of college basketball, you really don't know. But, I mean, I'd love to see Addison Patterson come back. I really enjoyed the the end he of his season. To. I don't think he's NBA ready. I don't think he's ready to go to the next level. No, I, I mean, I I would say I would be the most surprised by him. But also yeah. with the way he ended the season, it was kind of Troy Brown-ish to where like, he did have a really good mm. end of the season. And a lot of people look at a good, that. That's a good callback. That's a good callback, good comparison there with the way that he did finish the year on a high note. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see. In the case that they do go, Oregon still is on, um, he's, they're still in on some really high talented recruits. Um, we'll give you guys kind of five names here, you guys and gals that is still on Oregon's radar here. Jalen Green, a, a five-star shooting guard out of Fresno, California, six foot five, 180, playing for Prolific Prep. He has a 97 grade right now on ESPN.com. Then they've got Zaire Williams, a small forward out of Chatsworth, California, six foot eight, 180, small forward, uh, 95 grade. Um, Makur Maker, a center out of Phoenix, Arizona, Hillcrest Prep, 6'11", 235. Those guys are all five stars. Um, their lists are still pretty long, but they're very, they've got Oregon at least in the running there for those kinds of a situation to, to bring them in. And then we've got Kyrie Walker, um, a small forward, also out of Hillcrest Prep, 6'4", 200 pounds with an 81 grade. Oh, excuse me, and uh, Maker had a 94 grade. So these are all guys that, I mean, Dana pulls tricks out of his bag every single year. So, I mean, even getting one or two of these guys would really give Oregon the opportunity to come right back and compete. Also, another piece of news that we didn't have listed, um, Oregon's competing in the Maui Invitational next year. Oh, cool. They did sign up for that. So that almost, to me, says that one or two of these five-star guys are going to come. Yeah, that's usually, that tournament's really good on, like, teams that uh, do really well in the tournament the year prior in the National Championship tournament. And then... Uh, big name freshman that yeah. the Invitational loves those big they name They want freshmen. that showcase, you know, literally is what they want. And we always want an excuse to see Dana in a Hawaiian shirt. So this will be a positive, fun experience. I got you. to watch a little bit of that uh, the Sierra Canyon kid play with the games that they put on mm. TV this mm-hmm. last Zaire year. Zaire Williams, yeah. yeah. Um, he looks good. Uh, kind of swing man, but he was kind of the focal point of their offense. You know, I tuned in for those games to watch Bronny James and... The, <laughs> it was a, it was an interesting dynamic the way that they kind of built that whole thing, especially because Bronny James wasn't really, uh, really wasn't he was the seventh of, man. Yeah, he wasn't really like part of the game. On a good day, he was the seventh man. Com- I, yeah, don't give me. Yeah, but anyway. I but I remember hearing that kid's name, the Zaire Williamson, uh, uh, thinking like, okay, this he's gonna do something. He's yep. he's definitely a, a next level talent. 
So yeah, he would be a good get. Zaire Williams there out of Sierra Canyon. Um, Jalen Green is obviously the highest ranked there with that 97 overall grade coming out of prolific prep. So any of those guys would really change the program your trajectory for next year. So some more news here for you Duck fans on the walk around the flock. This was something actually that Papa Duck hit me with a text. I didn't even know this until he sent me the news article. Really interesting. Um, All American, a, a really popular show on Netflix right now. A couple people had hit me up telling me I should watch it. I kind of like, eh, doesn't really look like it's for me. <laughs> you know, it kind of looks just like a slice of Americana. Not really sure I yeah. want to watch that right now. But a uh, really interesting story. This is actually loosely based on the life of former U of O linebacker Spencer Paysinger. Now I'm instantly intrigued. Yeah, now I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. I'm definitely I'm gonna watch it. I've, maybe maybe we'll do a little Netflix watch party. You know, maybe that's a, <laughs> yeah. maybe that's something that we can do here for you Flock Pod listeners to try to get a little bit more interaction during this time of pandemic quarantine. But yeah, I definitely want to give that show a watch now. I think it was trending on Netflix in like the top five for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I saw it on there. I watched the trailer. I decided not to watch it, and now <laughs> I think I made the conscious choice. <laughs> <laughs> and now I think uh, I think I might might give it a watch. At least give it a shot. Yeah. Yep, give it a give it a tune in, give, give it a viewing. I'm not huge on like sports movies and TV shows though. I like them, but I feel like they they can be done poorly a lot easier than they're done. I was well. just about to say it's all about if they're done well. Yeah. You know, the storytelling's gotta be there, the the action, you know, and the actual sports scenes has to be well made. You gotta have people behind that that have actually played the sport before to kind of right. display it in the way that it should be. So yeah, those those can, can those can be a tough watch sometimes. I remember there was like a Disney Channel movie about like these two twin sisters that played basketball. I can't remember what it's called, but if you go back, it's literally the worst reenactment of what sports are and what basketball is supposed to look like that you're ever going to see. That's incredible. That's incredible. So speaking of a little uh, double trouble action, um, uh, I think that might be the name Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen it on the Disney Plus <laughs> Um Peyton Pritchard and uh, the mother of ducklings double up on the top point guards in the country awards. Um, this is just the mother of ducklings, I mean, adding to her treasure trove of a chest at this point of awards. I mean, winning the Naismith, winning the Lieberman Award again. I mean, she is just adding to her long list of uh, accolades at this point. Yeah, I bet her trophy room like at her parents' house is just loaded. Do you think she has a trophy room? I bet her parents have one. I have bet you, have the, you yeah. seen her dad? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah, that's actually a good call. That's actually a good call. And she was a fun... Uh, you sent me that video, actually, of her and... Uh, her and Steph Curry oh, yeah. out there shooting around, keeping their social distance, uh, but still putting some shots up. So good for the mother of Ducklings there, and good for good for Peyton Pritchard. You know, this this is a good award for the the U of O to win and to give his season um, the attention it deserves. Yeah, especially I mean, it was building a lot of momentum. He was inching closer and closer to that Player of the Year award that Obi Toppin eventually won, and we we kind of said it'd be down to a, one of the two of them. It just kind of sucked yeah. that all that momentum just came to a screeching halt at the end of the season Absolutely, there. absolutely. And that was something that was really more early on in the year, you know, when Oregon was still ranked in the top 10. He had a lot of momentum in that player of the year run. And had Oregon, you know, maintained that and maybe not dropped a couple of those key games, I think it would have been more of a run. Oh, I mean, if you put the ball between your legs and dunk it in the middle of a game, I think you just you deserve the player of the year award right yeah, there. Yeah, Obi Toppin's something else. Yeah, I, I'm really high on him at the next level, too. We'll oh, talk yeah. about that more for the... the Draft preparations that we'll do. Ooh, I I would find that high on. I would. I would absolutely. That's exciting. I'm really excited to do some more draft research now to really get into some of these. Uh, ESPN just released their first mock draft. Ooh, exciting. Good stuff. 
So speaking of more awards for Oregon athletes and former Oregon athletes, um, Keenan Lowe, um, who a lot of you are obviously familiar with his heroic actions at Park Rose High School, you know, disarming the student that was walking through the hallways. Um, he received the Medal of Honor, um, huge award for a civilian, um, definitely out there, you know, just displaying what the men of Oregon are all about. Yeah, and I mean, the video when they released it of him actually like getting the gun from the kid and doing it with a hug was... It was moving, to say the least. It was powerful. It yeah. was really powerful. And just to hear him talk about it and kind of where he was coming from and the the little bit of training he had in those kinds of situations and the way that he was just able to remain calm. And that, I mean, not to get into a, you know, a diatribe about this, but working with kids, that's so important. Yeah. You know, not to necessarily, you know, meet them at their energetic level where they are, but to try to bring them down a little bit and to remain calm in those situations is just, it was really neat. It was really powerful yeah. to watch that I mean, video. In a world full of bad news, that was, that was something to see. Absolutely. So we are going to take just a quick break here on the flock pod, and then we will jump into our game recap, Michigan versus Oregon 03 at Autzen Stadium. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us through a quick little break here. We're going to jump right into our game recap. Uh, we got Michigan, number three in the country in the AP poll. They were actually fifth in the country in the coaches poll that year. And Oregon coming in at 22nd. Uh, both teams were 3-0. Coming from very different places, though. I mean, Michigan was a preseason national championship contender. A lot of teams had them up there, you know, with just the arsenal of wide receivers that they had. Um, incredible offensive line that went too deep at every position with experience. Mean defense. Um, they had just absolutely waxed a 15-ranked Notre Dame Golden Domer team, 38 to nothing, and like, dominant, really dominant. I think uh, they mentioned early on a lot of seniors on the defense, a lot of seniors on the offensive line, mm -hmm. especially in this team. So yep. those are those are two huge things to see. Yeah, so they were coming in really high. Um, this was a huge game just in the city of Eugene itself. I mean, it was just, it was a spectacle. It was a, a legit spectacle here in Eugene. Well, Keith Jackson, not to jump too far ahead right now, but <laughs> when they're opening the game and they do that little, like, uh, intro to the game, Keith Jackson calls this a festival here in Eugene, of which Dan Fouts kind of looks at him and gives him a nice smile. I don't know if you caught that <laughs> at the start, but it was just like, uh, okay. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, you know, Oregonians, we do love a good festival. <laughs> so we're all for it. So Michigan had a crazy season this year. They actually ended up playing eight ranked teams as the season goes along, finishing the year off against number one USC and losing that game 28-14. Uh, to 14. But they had an incredible year, uh, beating Ohio State the game before that, 35-21. Uh, to 21. Uh, They crushed Indiana the game here after Oregon and then lost that very next game, which kind of took them out of the national championship picture. Right. But they literally played themselves back into it just with their strength of schedule. Um, good old lanky, tall John Navarre you know, <laughs> leading that Michigan offense. And I'm sure we'll get more into that later. The most Michigan-looking guy seriously, ever. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. And uh, this was still, I mean, this was Oregon. Um, had, a, had a great year a couple seasons previous to this you know coming off of the joey harrington era you know that massive win against colorado in the fiesta bowl which they actually reference in mm -hmm. this game 
Um, Oregon ends up playing, it looks like, just three ranked teams this entire season. Um, and they ended up going a one and two, actually, against those ranked teams. Um, this was obviously, a, I mean, a spoiler alert, spoiler alert, big win here against Michigan. And then they come back and just absolutely get crushed in Autzen Stadium by the Washington State Cougars the very next week, 55 to 16. Gotten cooped so many times. One, you see it a lot, you know, coming off of such a high, high like that, it's hard to recover, you know, this, you know, there may have been some uh, some shenanigans, some, some off the field stuff going on after a big time win like that that uh took some energy out of the guys who knows there's some guys who like to party on this order there are there definitely are uh truck um I'm sure Igor Shansky's sure probably Igor had could throw a, a couple back. Yeah, yeah he's I'm probably sure. had an adult beverage or two in his plan. Just career. segues nicely into just this one had a lot of my favorite ducks on this roster. I mean, Igor definitely being one of them. My favorite story ever is apparently he like drop kicked a guy like his second day of practice and like spring season. Like, just like no Igor, that's not the way you tackle. Like you can't just drop kick people. <laughs> um, but he was just so big and strong. Uh, mentioned that he's from Ukraine later on in the game. Are you right. Ukraine prep school. Yeah. I would love to see what a Ukraine prep school looks like. <laughs> uh, that's where my brain went when they started just talking about it. Tackling things. Yeah. Dark room. It looks a lot like a rocky training montage. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, up and down season for Oregon. Um, they at one point go through a three-game losing streak here with that Washington State loss. They followed it up with a Utah loss, who's a member of the Mountain West Conference at that time. This is the Pac-10, of course, back in the day. And then another tough loss to Arizona. Arizona State and those games I mean the Utah game was close but the the Washington State game and Arizona State game they got waxed they got absolutely waxed uh 59 to 14 versus Arizona State so that that's might just be absolutely brutal that was on the road though also yeah and that might be like you know apex mountain of Arizona State football is kind of like in that era a little bit so that'd be uh, Pat Tillman era I was gonna say yeah Jake Plummer Pat mm-hmm. Tillman around that kind of yeah. I think Jake Plummer was even in the 90s I might be off there yeah um, but then come back with the big win against Stanford, 35 to nothing to kind of regulate their season. Finish eight and five, respectable. You're kind of you know nearing the end of the bloody era here at the University of Oregon. Uh, they showed a fun graphic, uh, I think in the second quarter, that he was the longest tenured coach in the Pac-10 and nine years at this By point. By like six years, I think. And the, yeah, the, yeah. Well, the other the longest tenured coach was like three years, and then two of his disciples were other head coaches in the Pac-10 at that time. Five, I think it was four or five of the coaches was their first year as a head coach coach which is crazy you're seeing the Pac-10 try to find themselves kind of during this time and try to figure out what kind of a conference they are um, really during a time of uncertainty in college sports in regards to you know who got what rights um, you know the SEC is kind of still dominant during this time. I mean, LSU goes on to win the national championship with Nick Saban as their head coach, which I've actually forgotten. Very interesting little tidbit there. But we're already on a fun tangent. Let's jump right in here. Um, first note that I have, once again, I love these older uniforms. Kickoff happens, and that's all I'm looking at are just the old unis. Well, should we go real quick before we get into the game? Should we do the what was happening in 03? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Shane. Yeah, yeah just Sorry, kind of let's, with let's set yeah. the stage a I got little excited. Bit. I get and, uh, excited in these moments. You do a good job of getting me settled back on the track. And while I get into some of these movies that released in September of 03, uh, will you see who the Heisman Trophy winner was this season? Oh, I was good curious call. about yeah, that. Yeah, I will look that up. So some movies that came out in September of 2003. Uh, uh, <laughs> 2003. 2003. Uh, we had The Rundown, movie with The Rock and Sean William Scott. That was a good, Great that was a good movie. Great movie. Yeah. Established dominance. <laughs> yeah, I like that one Underrated. Underrated. Uh, Underworld came out this oh, time. Oh, okay. Beckinsale. Yeah, that was a good Apex one. Apex Mountain. 
Uh, a movie that I uh, just found out Justin probably didn't like is Dickie Roberts because it's uh, David Spade. Yeah I, didn't, yeah, I didn't really get into Dickie Roberts. <laughs> not a big David Spade guy. I like that movie. And then uh, some kind of indie movies that came out this time. Party Monster. I don't know if anybody ever saw that one. That had uh, Macaulay Culkin. That was kind of his like reemergence into film after uh, puberty. That is a dark movie. Yeah. And Seth Green, I think, yep. also in that uh-huh. movie. That is a dark, dark movie. But a good, really well-made dark movie. Absolutely. And then another one that uh, isn't really uh, a happy movie, but a good one was Lost in Translation. Bill Murray. And, oh, great uh, Bill Murray movie. Uh, what's her name? Wait, Lost in Translation. That is Bill Murray, or is that Jim Carrey? It's uh, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, the Jim Carrey one I'm thinking of was the Eternals. Eternal Sunshine, Spotless, Spotless Mind. Mind. That's yeah. a sad one. Yeah. Um, and then Mystic River was a, one that took home a bunch of awards that year. And then uh, Love Actually, which was weird that it came out in September, because I remember it's such a christmas theme movie that I thought it was oh, later yeah. mm-hmm. in the year. Then uh, some music that was released in September. September 03 was a good good year for movies and music. We had a Crazy in Love with uh, Beyonce and Jay Z. Oh, okay. Beehive. Yep. Yep. Uh, Where is the Love was like the big hit of the year. It was released Ooh, in September. Black Eyed Peas. Yep. Yeah. Right There by Chingy. Oh yeah, Chingy. Yep. You can't go wrong with that. Uh, and then uh, one song that I would guarantee you was played in the locker room was In the Club by 50 Cent. Yes, we referenced that on a numerous podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> hey Y'all uh, from Outcast. Well, I mean, that was the Outcast uh, dual album. So it was Andre 2000's Hey Ya, uh, which was the song that I'd say was probably played the most on the radio. And you just totally crystallized my memory about this game with that little tidbit. I'll get to that later. But yeah, continue. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so perfect. Uh, my Love is Like Whoa. I think that was uh, Monica. And then I think my favorite out of this group of songs was Shake Your Tail Feather, which is on oh, the Bad Boys 2 soundtrack. Yes. Nelly, That's a great Murphy, soundtrack. P. Diddy. Yep. Underrated soundtrack for sure. Um, And your Heisman winner for the 2003-2004 football season, Matt Liner. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah, USC is coming uh, Yeah, yeah USC yeah. had a good year that year. And then on this date, um, probably a little bit after this game wrapped up, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally were married. Uh, Nick Offerman, you probably know from Parks and Rec, you know, the big uh, the mustache. And then uh, his wife uh, was the star of Will and Grace. Will and Grace, yes, another throwback from that era. And I think sure. uh, Nick Offerman was not, he was going to be on The Office, but he couldn't do it because he was going to be a guest on one of the Will and Grace episodes or mm-hmm. something. There was something like that, that uh, those two shows kind of intertwining there and changing the trajectory of his career. So uh, all that to set up, yeah, this game. Interesting. So right my memory is I was a sophomore at the University of Oregon during this this game. And I, while watching the game, I was trying to remember, I was like, was I at this game? Was I at a water polo tournament? Like, I really had a foggy memory. But then when you brought up that Hey Ya, it reminded me that we were listening to that CD, that throwback, that CD double yep, absolutely, on the van on our way to Pullman, Washington (laughs) to play in a water polo tournament at Washington State. And we were all watching this game in our hotel before we had to leave to go play a game. That's what helped me remind. So we were all like piled on beds and stuff like that. I mean, it was, yeah, good time. Shout out to... Abe, the senior who brought this uh, double disc to uh, to expose young sophomore Justin to Outcast. Appreciate Speaker that. Speaker box, a little yes, below. Absolutely. I was 13, that. so I don't remember what I was doing. God, I'm old. <laughs> Man. And you know, it, you know, those those memories are a little foggy. The college years, they all kind of fade together a little bit. Um, but you know, good old college club water polo, good times, good times. So, um, yeah, we have kickoff here in the first quarter. Um, a lot of talk about how this is just a big event here in the city of Eugene. 
Um, immediate mention of Oregon's team speed on the offensive side and kind of the fear that Michigan had about that with Sammy Parker, Demetrius Williams. Um, Oregon definitely had, um, you know, not dominant wide receivers, but wide receivers wide receivers that put some, some fear in you. I was thinking about this as I was watching the game. Is this the best one-two punch in Oregon re- receiving core history? I mean, there's some ones that get kind of close, but I think if Sammy Parker... And Demetrius Williams played with, like, I hate to say this because Kellen Clemens was good. If they have senior Kellen Clemens, yeah. I think this, this is a whole different story. Or if story, they would have played know? with Joey, or if they would have played with, like, any yeah. of the other great quarterbacks in the Oregon system, I feel like their numbers would be would be really elevated. That's tough. You know, I, I can think of some, some wide receiver cores, and I can think of, like, the top guy from those cores, but I can't think of one that I have to double, I have to dig deeper into right. that. We should do another pod on that later on, maybe. And then add Tim Day as like the, have your top two receivers mm-hmm. with the tight end. I think that's the best core. And a stable of running backs, you know, yeah. a real, a real solid, diverse stable of running backs also. Um, so <laughs> I love that um, Oregon's first offensive possession, their first two plays are wide receiver screens. Two, those two receivers oh, we just Bilotti. mentioned. Oh, yeah. Bilotti. You got to love Bilotti in the screen game. I like, though, right that it, it was immediately starting to kind of bring those corners yeah, in. Yeah, absolutely. And you see throughout the game that they do give some cushion, especially to Sammy Parker, and I think that kind of helps contain him throughout this game. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Clemens actually has a couple scampers on this drive. Also, this first possession just reminded me he was a better athlete than I remember. You know, they bring in Fife, obviously, to kind of have the senior-sophomore combo, you know, later on in this game. And Fife, they say, is the better runner. I don't know about that. I think Fife is maybe the, has better vision, but I think Clemens actually has better feet. Well, and it seems like they're really dialing up the play calls for Fife, but then Clemens gets it done. I yep. mean, there's a couple of plays where he escapes the pocket, makes these throws, and it's like, dude, he's just as fast, if not faster than Fife. He has a big run later on in this drive yeah. that we'll talk about. Um, so, yeah, I think it was that was really fun to watch him as a sophomore. He was obviously... Obviously, there was a big comparison between him here at the University of Oregon and then Derek Anderson up at Oregon State. You know, Derek came in and he was the, the starter right away mm-hmm. for the Beavers. And, you know, Kellen really had to kind of earn his way through a couple guys here at the University of Oregon. Um, but that was a great rivalry for years with a couple of in-state guys going back and forth. Um, Oregon runs that uh, that little fake uh, fullback dive and then pitch out play. And this reminded me that we hadn't really seen that play a lot before this era. And now everybody runs it. Right. And it was and kind of a, a great, weird play. Great video game play for the old college football games. My next note is, <laughs> man, I really, really miss playing NCAA football dynasty mode because I used to love running that and then just the triple option, triple yeah. option, triple option. Oh. Well, you see some triple option later with, uh, with Jason Fife when he gets more involved. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this game was a lot of uh, a lot of Mike Bellotti's kind of like mastermind in this game is moving around fullbacks and tight ends, kind of motioning the fullbacks in, uh, bringing like Tim Day is a lot of um, blocking out of the backfield at the fullback position. Uh, you see Dante Rosario kind of get out there and do some blocking where he gets moved around. So they kind of like you know combine those tight end fullback positions, and it's a it's a nice it works well when it's working and then when it doesn't yeah. it's it looks a little a little funky they did go more multi-tight end sets that i remember mm-hmm. and they ran a lot of two back sets a lot, a lot of two back sets yeah. a lot of fullback work out there for the ducks and, and it was important in this game they actually really needed for their o-line to really be able to dominate 
um, that Michigan D line the way they did. The way that they did. Um, Clemens ends up missing a wide open Sammy Parker here in the end zone on this drive. Um, probably could have been an early touchdown strike. Um, just kind of overthrows him a little bit there on that play. It looks like he missed him, and then he saw him a little bit late. They kind of yep. mention it that he kind of throws it on a rope just to get him the ball before he's just standing in the end zone, and it just sails out of the backside. Yep. I do have here, again, Oregon O-line doing a great job creating some nice lanes mm-hmm, early too. on for Terrence Whitehead and uh, Chris Vincent, question mark? Um, I didn't remember Chris Vincent at all, oh, but you man. seem to remember him more than I did. Yeah, I thought he was going to be a big deal. He was a big power back coming in. He was a big-time recruit. I believe he was a four-star. Yeah. It's used a lot as a freshman. He just never really – I know he deal with some, dealt with some injuries, but it just never really – it never really clicked. It materialized. And yeah. It almost, like I hate saying this, but it almost seems like he went to the wrong school mm. just because he was never really going to get the chance to get 26 carries a game yeah. and just have him pound the ball, just eye form. And some guys do need that. You know, yeah. they, they call him more of a rhythm running back and you got to get those touches. I mean, Marshawn Lynch is a guy like that where you need to give him the 15 carries to kind of wear the defense down and to exactly. get himself going. Yeah. And the Oregon's always had kind of that stable mentality of a running back. They've never really had, they've had some dominant, you know, two, I mean, well, I guess Royce Freeman was kind of, I mean, Jonathan Stewart, but those guys were kind of, you know, anomalies. Yeah, and they were like bruising style running backs, but they also had very underrated speed. Yep, yep. So we've got a fourth and one here early on. Um, really nice play action play. Uh, completion to Tim Day gets the Ducks up to the five. Um, setting the tone early on uh, with a lot of Tim Day touches, really keeping that Michigan defense on their toes and not really letting them get comfortable in regards to what Oregon wanted to do with the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, they end up, looks like they score here on an option keeper from Clemens. This is the run that we kind of mentioned earlier on in the pod. He has a nice little run here off the left side, fights for extra yardage, looks like he's taken down and then gives that extra effort and rolls before he gets tackled. Referees rule his knee down before that roll. Tough call and no replay during this time. No replay to speak of. Yeah, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting that the way that the uh, the way Keith Jackson and Dan Fouts kind of handle this situation. <laughs> no replay. <laughs> yeah, because Fouts gets pretty adamant about it being a, a, a touchdown, <laughs> yeah, he does. and Keith Jackson's kind of like, oh, pipe down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Your passion's showing there, Dan. Your passion's showing. But it's they really just get on to the next one, mm-hmm. and they don't really like spend a lot of time. You know, overanalyzing it, which is so much different than now, where we would have spent you know the minutia. Oh yeah, I mean, this game would have been a half an hour longer if oh, it would have had replays I think because there's several longer. plays yeah. that they could have gone to the replay box for. And I, you know, I don't like it more or less per se. It's just different. They're different. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, yeah, it's I don't, just different. I don't wish that it was this way still, but I do kind of enjoy watching it the way that it was. Yeah. So Oregon's got a fourth and goal here, and they initially actually send the offense out. Um, to go for this and a big false start here on Tim Day. You know, he made the big catch earlier and now he's kind of the GOAT. Um, really big false start. At this point, Oregon had run a 17 play drive, nine minutes taken off the clock, really setting the tone just for a dominant time of possession battle, which was just funny to see Oregon dominating the time of possession. Yeah. Just never a stat. I mean, Chip Kelly hated time of possession. Yeah. And I don't think Crystal, I mean, Crystal Ball pays attention to it. I think more just from a grinding mindset. Yeah, it's not a concern. But it's not important yeah. necessarily. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, they bring out Jason Fiegel after that false start to attempt the field goal. Keyword attempt. 
big block here for Michigan. Um, smooth recovery. Also, the ball it just really like pops that, up nice. It's that three hop, and then yep. it just pops straight up. Absolutely. And that guy's there. And I mean, either one of the guys who were there could have returned. It yeah, for a they've got a, they've so. got a, um, a convoy. Yeah. as they run off to the end zone. Oregon, or excuse me, uh, Michigan scores the touchdown here. Um, funny to see Jason Siegel after he kind of chases the play, walking back to the sideline, just screaming at himself. And Jared like, Siegel. Oh. J oh, Jared Siegel. Yeah, Jason sorry. Siegel's an actor. I think I have Jason written here the whole time. Nice to <laughs> Siegel. Uh, well, yeah, Jason Siegel's... Uh, I did know. just watch uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Okay, yeah. Great movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Great movie. Did so you know good. that the Mila scene... Kunis. You know the scene where he's nude in the start? Yeah. You know that the actress didn't know that they that, were going yeah, to do, do that? Yeah. 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 Well, then I love that then, spoiler, that they, they repeat the same trope and then he's naked again when Mila comes in. It's yeah. great. It's, yeah. yeah, great movie. Great movie. Go watch it if you haven't seen it, kids. Um, so yeah, big momentum swing here for Michigan as they get that um, weird start to the game, obviously. Um, and then Michigan actually misses the extra point. Yeah, just to continue it. the weirdness. Yeah. Um, so we're six nothing here, Michigan. Um, I've never heard Utsen so quiet. It was really, really quiet. I mean, there was so much hype, and then to have Oregon go on that epic drive and to have that kind of be the anticlimactic rush back, tough to bounce back. Well, from. I kind of found myself like, and even in a rewatch where I'm sitting here like taking notes. At that point, kind of like looking away from the screen, like nothing's gonna happen right here. It's gonna, they're gonna yeah. knock this in. I feel like the whole stadium is kind of like, oh, it mm -hmm. sucks that we didn't get that touchdown. At least we're getting three out of yep. it. Yep. Yeah, definitely a big letdown there. And I remember again, no, no surprise here with my memory. I remember nothing from this game. I really remember. I remember, I remember Oregon winning. I didn't remember who the quarterbacks were. I mean, it was really interesting to kind of dive back into the stats and then just give this the rewatch to dive back into what Oregon was like as an 03 program. I actually remember that it's funny. I had a note uh, later in my notes here where I remember more of this game than I do. I felt like of that national championship game that we did the requackables oh, on. Interesting. And I was like, I wonder why. I was sitting there. I was like, oh yeah, because I was 13. I wasn't drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say you were locked in, but yeah, that's that might have also had didn't have uh, anything impeding my like that might know, have short term memory. Yeah. yeah, might have something to do with it. Um, so Oregon gets the ball back here. Michigan defense clearly focusing early on and keeping uh, Demetrius Williams covered up. Um, he had scored three touchdowns the week before against Arizona, so had a monster game, and he definitely was the focal point. When Sammy Parker got hurt in that game, yeah, twisted ankle, he was questionable to even play in this game, and mm -hmm. Demetrius Williams really popped up as at that time it was like, whoa, this guy could be a number one threat. Yep. He always kind of played Robin to Sammy Parker's Batman before yep. that. Um, I have a couple notes here, but it's about how accurate Clemens is in a couple nice throws here from the pocket and on the run. They really do a good job of making him comfortable back there. Um, that one pass to Parker where they, he kind of overthrew him and it was just mistimed. It was really the only bad throw that I have so far. And the commentators really beat him up for it. Too. Yeah, they really did like, go after him for that one play. Yeah, because at one point they say like, and Oregon was able to recover from that terrible throw from Cohen. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, like, geez, guys, like, <laughs> chill. Because he has on this next drive, uh, I mean, Justin Finnessy returns a kick to the 20. Uh, they go for a running back screen in the first play, and he throws the ball away on a good throwaway. Actually, yep. it just it wasn't there. He decided Smart not decision. to get his running back killed. Yeah, and that was only his second incompletion of the game on a lot of attempts. Yep. And then on that third down, um, nice blitz here for the Michigan defense. Forces Clemens. He steps up really nicely. Looks like he's feeling the pocket really well, and just a bad throw here to Sammy Parker. Incomplete pass. Uh, Michigan offense gets the ball here with 2:11 in the in, left in the first quarter, and this is the first time that Michigan offense even touched the ball. Um, crowd starts going crazy. They really get back in it. 
Um, first mention of Igor Olshansky. Um, I love Igor. Gotta love Igor. Um, they, they mentioned how the Oregon lost to Lodi Nada earlier in the season to a knee injury, so he'd be gone all year. Um, they talk about Keith Lewis also in this game. So a lot of, you know, local duck favorites playing for this Oregon defense particularly. And Igor Shansky was saying this was, uh, he was just kind of moved from like defensive tackle to, to outside and then back in and back yep. out. So he was doing a lot for uh, versatility in this defensive unit. Yeah, they move him around a lot and it makes, Michigan's just, just uncomfortable for this whole first half. I feel like that offense just never really gets into any kind of a rhythm. And uh, they force a quick three and out here. Um, Oregon gets the ball back. Um, more screen six success here for Oregon. Uh, nice running back screen. Uh, we head in here into the second quarter. Again, Michigan still leading six to nothing. Um, D. Will finally gets a first his first nice big catch here on a nice rollout throw from Kellen Clemens. Michigan only had 25 seconds of possession in yeah. the first quarter. Again, time of possession was just a weird stat to follow here throughout the entire game. Um, really nice jet misdirection handoff here. Nice trap play to Isaiah Whitehead right up the middle for the touchdown for the Ducks. Um, I love the way that Kem Clemens really hid the ball in yeah, that, that one great. play. Yeah. He really, I mean, that was where you really start to see some of those pro potential things, just like the little stuff yeah. where you start to break his, his game down a little bit. And when I first watched it, it almost looked like he snuck the ball to Whitehead, like he was going to try to come up and look like he was going to throw it. But uh -huh. It was just a nice direct handoff. It was just really smooth. Um, so big touchdown here for Oregon. Um, Whitehead with a really nice run up the gut here also. So Oregon takes the lead 7-6. to six. Odds really is good, going uh, crazy. It was a really good trap block on that touchdown yep. run too where that yep. center comes over and that poor TN just doesn't even see it. He's like, oh, I'm alone. Ah! And then he just gets ear old. Might be called a blindside block now. Uh, I mean, it was like inside the uh, the tackle box, so it's tough. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because mm -hmm. we really only call those when they're on the edge. Yep. But, yeah, he, <laughs> it, it was an ear hole for sure. Yep. So yeah, Otson's going crazy once again. Michigan gets the ball back. Uh, Brennan Edwards makes his first appearance in this game, and you'll be hearing that name a lot as the game <laughs> goes along. He was in absolute beast mode. Yep. I mean, that's crazy. Oregon really tried to take him away, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but this was just a really nice throw here by Navarre. Um, Ducks actually get pretty good pressure, and he's just able to find him. Um, Duck front seven doing a really good job keeping Navarre off balance, kind of making him throw off of his back foot, making him move around. Alioto stacking the box too. Yeah, a couple really... all-out blitzes, mm -hmm. um, which you know, for better or for worse. Which again, well, that's more foreshadowing here. We'll get to that later. Um, Force Navarre to make a bad throw here on a third and five, and this this is more weirdness. More weirdness. Uh, Michigan lines up here to punt the ball, and initially it just looks like a bad snap. Um, right, but on the rewatch, you see that the punter actually is jumping before the ball's even snapped, that the ball's gone over his head and the up man is looking for it, but the ball goes off of his helmet and just kind of falls off into the ether. Which I was kind of thinking, I wasn't sure what you thought about this. It almost looks like it should have been a false start because the punter is allowed to move. But you're not allowed to do that. I agree. And um, if but they it's a good no call. Yeah, and if it would have been a penalty, then Oregon wouldn't have got the ball. I mean, yep. it would have been a huge swing because they would take that five-yard false start uh, penalty over, you know, snapping it off. Absolutely. The, yeah. But, yeah, he jumps 
so early. <laughs> it's crazy. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of special team guys getting excited and kind of showing their hand a little early this, on the play. Uh, I mean, I wrote it right here. This is the most important special teams game in Oregon Duck history by far. <laughs> I mean, by far. This game there's was a lot won of and lost stuff. on special yeah. teams. Well, Bilotti's got to love that. You know, he's got to love that as he, the yeah. special teams guy. So he's definitely got to love His that. His mustache <laughs> is doing the dance like in oh, the like, Doritos baby. commercial. His mustache was in <laughs> glorious form for this game glorious form um so on this next offensive drive here for oregon uh fife makes his first entrance into the game and they run a lot of no huddle with him in the game and it's not a it's not a hurry up no huddle that like oregon fans get used to later on it's more of a let's keep michigan out of certain formations let's keep them from substituting as much as they want to let's keep them on their toes which is just a it's an interesting game plan that Bilotti basically wanted to play, make Michigan play left-handed the entire game. Yeah. They didn't want them to be comfortable. They didn't want them to run any of their normal stuff. They wanted to. Be, Oregon wanted to be the aggressor the entire time, and I like that. I like the mentality. It comes back to bite them a couple times later on in the game with some really interesting play calls. But Oregon, Bilotti, and this whole coaching staff is showing that hey, our pedal is down this whole game. And it's really almost like I have it in my notes later. I'm not going to look for it, but. With the way that Clemens and Fife play, it's almost like Bilotti wanted two different football teams to play yeah. this one Michigan defense. Yeah. You've got so a fastball and a changeup. Yeah, they have no idea. I mean, you can kind of tell, like, when Fife enters the game, all right, we might see a little more of this and we might see a little mm -hmm. bit more. Like, they run pretty much, like, specifically just an I-form twin set the entire time Fife's in the game. Yep. But with a in a hurry up, so it's and they're really mixing strange. some things around with some motion, you know, yeah. you know, mixing up the strong side, weak side. There was some fullback motion to tight end sets, but it's just it's fascinating to just watch them, you know, again that change change up fastball kind of mentality constantly throughout the game, and it really works on this drive. Um, Tim Day, you know, right away catches a nice sideline route here with a corner route for the you know gets the Ducks right to the 15 yard line, really setting the tone early on in the drive for Fife. Um, very next play, Fife keeps it here on this option around the corner, scampers in, untouched for the touchdown. And again, we referenced it earlier on how both quarterbacks had athleticism, but Fife really does a nice job of reading this play and making a quick decision, planting that left foot in the ground and really getting um, east-west, as they say in this game a couple times, that Autzen isn't a north-south stadium, it's an east-west stadium. Yeah, this was a weird game. I also have, like, right around this point in the game, I just have uh, Keith Jackson is struggling. So I'm not exactly sure what he said, but... Doesn't matter. Yeah, it was almost <laughs> like he was watching two games at the same time, and, like, Dan Fouts has to, like, re like remind him to, like, say things. Hey, Keith, come back. Well, that, <laughs> that comes up later in the game also. Yeah, Keith, do you know where you are right now? <laughs> um, so as we have it now, Oregon 14, Michigan 6. Um, big touchdown drive there for Oregon to um, keep the momentum going. And again, to get Fife in there to get his some touches and get his confidence up, which turns out to be important later on in the game. Um, so Michigan comes out here on their next offensive possession. They actually fumble the first snap. Well, they get the ball in the 35 because Jared Siegel kicks the ball out Another, of Yeah, he does this a couple times. A couple this of is bad the first kickoffs. of back-to-back yeah. -back kickoffs uh, where he kicks it out of bounds. Legal procedure twice, which uh, college football you get the ball at 35. I think pros you get in the 40. I think now at college football you get it in the 40 as well. I can, I can never, never keep, keep up. Yeah, I can never keep up with the rule changes, especially between the two sports. 
Yeah, and then so, they're different. I mean, they're so anyway. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. So Navarre drops the snap and then kind of falls on it immediately to open this next drive. So I mean, just there's no momentum building for Michigan at all at this point. Well, there's no rhythm. I mean, you see it. He's everyone's moving except for the ball. That's not usually a good sign. You know, yeah. if you want the ball to be moving at the same time as everybody else. So Oregon defense really fired up at this point. Um, this possession actually ends with a big sack. Um, and the play before that, um, Kevin Kevin Mitchell? Yep, Kevin, Kevin Mitchell, Mitchell blows up that screen. Yeah, yeah, nice tackle for loss there on the screen before. I like that they call him what they, the pocket backer or something like yeah, that. Something, like there's yeah. something in reference to you know, he was a five foot nine inside linebacker. Gotta love that. Um, really puts Michigan in a precarious position, which is important because um, it sets up a punt. The wind was important in this game. Yeah, the wind it was kept, howling. It kept changing, you know, um, from kind of side to side and making teams really play to it. And it was important here on this punt for Michigan because the ball really held up nicely. And uh, it's important because Stephen Moore takes it right up the gut, really hits the wedge perfectly, runs through two or three arm tackles. And other than that, he's untouched for the touchdown. Yeah, and he did that kind of ballsy thing where he saw the guys barreling down at him. And he knew if he just kind of beelined it, it would be okay. But you have to really, like, I mean, almost close your eyes at that point. Because he was running right into some high-speed areas. Man, you know, if, you know, you get those challenges, like, I'll give you a million dollars to do this or that. Somebody gave me a million dollars to say, here, you're going to return a punt against an NFL punt coverage team. Man, I don't know. You remember? On, I don't uh, know, man. It was on the Jackass TV show, Johnny you? Knoxville. Uh... He goes to, I think it's a USC or Tennessee practice, and they have him return punts, but they just blast him. It's like, whoa, dude, that's what that looks like if a normal person did it? I don't want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. And they even, I mean, Keith Jackson actually talks about it, how they don't have the halo rule anymore. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's just got to catch it, and then you can whack him. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, man, Keith. Whew. Keith, again, do you know where you are? Blink twice if you're in trouble. <laughs> um, so big touchdown here for Oregon. Uh, 750 left here in the second quarter. It's all Oregon momentum, 21 to six. This second quarter is really the, uh, the the quarter that sets the game apart. You know, it really sets the stage what the game looks like the rest and of the time. At this point, too, the crowd has kind of gone from like oh, we might have a chance in this one to, like, I think we're going to win this game. Yeah. Like, you can tell, especially the student section is rocking yes, at this point. Yes, it really, the vibe in the stadium really changes. You can feel it. And a really interesting graphic here, how they take the Michigan big house. I don't know. And then yeah. they place it, and then they take Autzen Stadium and kind of place it inside of it, and how um, coaches that have played at Bull Stadium talk about how Autzen's still louder. And I've this is a note that I've never heard before. Are you going to say the nut house yes. thing? Oh, yeah! Okay. <laughs> Dan Fouts... <laughs> Dan Fouts calls it the nut house, and I've I've never heard I've never this heard anybody ever say that. He goes, "Yeah, well, they have the big house. We're at Austin. We've they call the- it the nut house." And I was like, "What?" So I'm glad that we're on the same page here because again, I don't know if this is something that he just came up with in the moment. And funny follow-up note here later on in regards to it, but yeah, never heard that before. I'm glad we're uh-huh. on the same page. Yeah. Okay. I think we need to make shirts that say the nut house. I was sitting there waiting. I was like, is at. he gonna say what I think he's gonna say? I think I think we need to I think we need to claim this. We need to make the flock pod officials title of Autzen Stadium the, the nut, nut house. house. I like yep. it. Because yeah. it follows with us. You know, I think yeah, we're all yeah, squirrel chasing a nut. You know, that's <laughs> 
Um, so Oregon D just continues to keep Michigan running back Chris Perry in check here, um, not allowing him to get loose. He's obviously the focal point trying to take him out of the game because Oregon's constantly stacking the box and just saying, hey, Navarre, if you can beat us, great. We're going to give up some big plays to you, but you're not going to be able to beat us on a consistent level. And um, Keith Lewis actually comes up, lays a nice big hit here on this second down, um, forces a big third and three here for the Michigan offense. Um, on that next play, the secondary continues some exemplary coverage work. Nobody open for Navarre, and he just has to throw it away. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it at this point. They're they're bracketing Braylon Edwards early. Yep. And he hasn't really gotten a chance to shake loose. Uh, this is a great receiving core from Michigan. We yeah. didn't really mention this yet. So Braylon Edwards, who goes on to play for the Cleveland Browns and a few other teams. Mm-hmm. Steve Breston, who plays for the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL. And then Jason Avant, who played... Way too long in Philadelphia. Forever. He was a staple in the wide receiver Yeah, core. so we saw he plays the first eight seasons in Philadelphia. So the three starting receivers, you really don't see too much, too much substitution in the receiving core yeah. for Michigan, especially because in the first half, they don't have the ball too often, so no, they don't have to really all. worry about fatigue. I have that next note. Yeah, they run 16 plays at this point right now on offense. And also, their tight end, Massaqua, actually mm-hmm. got a cup of coffee in the NFL also. Yeah. So, I mean, there's talent up and down this Michigan roster. And uh, the running back, I can't remember the name you mentioned. Chris it, Perry. Uh, at the time, they said he was like a top five Heisman guy. Yep. Yep, yep. He was he was definitely in the rain. Had a great year. Had almost 400 carries, 1,600 total yards for the season. Massive, massive season. But Oregon really did a good job of just not letting him get loose at all during this game. So, again, another punt here for Michigan. Um, again, I have it here. 34-16 to 16 total offensive plays for Oregon. Just dominating. Um, they keep Fife in the game. And you're, you kind of see why they're running the two QB system at this point because Fife just throws a couple ducks here. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's a bad possession. It's a bad possession. I kind of feel like he would have uh, stayed in the game for maybe a majority of the first half if this drive would have gone a little bit differently. Because he did have the flow. He definitely yeah. had the and momentum. Was, the momentum was definitely going, but... Yeah, it's it. Well, I'll get into that part yep. later. So here, a uh, big punt for Oregon. It's an, actually it's a terrible punt, but a big time bounce. I think it bounces for about thirty five yards. So he kicks it about thirty, or he kicks it thirty five yards, and it bounces an extra thirty. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, incredible. So it all the way down to the five yard yards. line. When it comes off his foot, Keith Jackson's kind of like, and a horrible punt here. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. I mean, thirty five. It would have been at there like 40. in that wind too. I mean, yeah. they don't say at that point which way the wind's blowing, mm-hmm. but who knows? I don't think he's kicking with the wind. This is when they put that graphic up about Bilotti being in his ninth season for Oregon and just kind of the coaching tree that they had there at the University of Oregon and throughout the Pac-10. Um, Chris Perry starting to get loose a little bit here with a couple good runs. Keith Jackson called the punt an incredibly successful bad punt. Yep, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Um, so the, 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 the Michigan O-line getting a little bit of momentum here. Oregon D stifles that, though, does get a big hold, forces the punt from the Michigan 20. So, I mean, they weren't really getting loose, but there was just like two or three plays there where it felt like, oh, this could be big. This could be a momentum tied. And just the defense, again, steps up, forces the punt. Michigan offense has been able to do nothing really to this point. Um, Oregon winning the trenches. Secondary doing a great job of allowing the defensive ends to really get to um, Navarre early on in this game. There was that play, right? I think it was on the third down play where they sent Keith Lewis on the blitz and he's coming from that deep safety spot and their running back catches him at the last second but he would have killed Navarre well and that's a again 
so many blitzes here from Aliotti coming from all over the place. The cornerback blitz, the safety blitz, um, out blitzes. I mean, he's really trying to do everything they can. to, And a lot of run blitzes also yeah. where they're making sure there are no gaps. Yeah, and they're doing a good job too of blitzing from every look. Yep. Where they show blitz, they blitz. They yep. show zone coverage, they blitz. They show all these different mm-hmm. looks and they blitz out of them. And not being afraid to bring, like you're saying, some of those deeper delayed blitzes like you said with Keith Lewis mm-hmm. coming off the edge there. So yeah, Justin Finnessy, they send on a corner yep. blitz later in the game, yeah. So Kemmons comes back into the game here for quarterback for the University of Oregon. Um, Whitehead gets loose for a couple good runs, kind of getting that Oregon offense back into the flow. Drive stalls out here with about 45 seconds left in the half. Oregon has to punt. Um, possible fumble here on an incomplete pass on this next possession for Michigan. Um, it looks like he catches it, kind of looks to take a step, and then Mitchell gives him a wallop. That ball comes out. Again, if we had replay, maybe that's a play that really gets dissected further. Um, but there's only about 25, 30 seconds left on the play clock, or left in the, the half here. 38 seconds yeah. left at that point. Yeah, and I think it was definitely a fumble, but it on. It was definitely like a, a certain camera angle made it look like a fumble. Like the yep. first broadcast view, you're like, oh, no way. And then they show that kind of like field uh, end that zone to end zone. Move. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, that's a fumble. But I can, that one was a little more excusable than the uh, Kellen Clemens touchdown. It was touchdown. bang bang. Yeah. It was bang bang. And again, difficult position for the referees with no replay. This is where they actually bring up uh, Igor because he recovered the possible fumble being from a Ukraine prep school. Again, love that visual. Um, very fun. So Oregon uh, calls a couple timeouts here. They end up getting the ball back with five seconds. Very interesting decision by Stephen Moore to let the ball bounce there and run. Uh, about 10 seconds comes off the clock yeah. there where if he just catches that for a fair catch, maybe Oregon has a chance to run a play, get Siegel in position for a long field goal. Yeah, where it, it, it seemed like they did all these clock management things and then that happened and it was like, whoa, well, that was all for none then. But I like that they were at least setting it up. Again, Bilotti showing it was his staying aggressive. Yeah. yeah, staying aggressive. So here, halftime, um, Oregon 21, Michigan 6. I love that they go to the field reporter and again, he talks about how the nut house is going crazy <laughs> da, 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 da. and then he goes to Bilotti and even mentions it to Bilotti saying hey you've got the nut house behind you and Bilotti just shakes it off almost you can see him kind of giving him a weird look behind the epic shades the mustache almost glares at him if you will <laughs> um, the stash has a mind of its own yeah again I say I was today's I was today years old when I heard that it was called the nut house so <laughs> just some halftime reflections um, the duck defense just doing a great job of keeping Michigan uncomfortable constantly forcing them to play left-handed. Um, Oregon offense and special teams taking advantage of some big plays and those when those um, opportunities present themselves, not forcing anything. They reference a couple times how the Oregon quarterbacks haven't thrown an interception for the entire season leading up to this, and both QBs do a good job. Only once does I think Clemens throw a ball that probably could have been intercepted, right. but the Michigan defender ends up dropping it here in the second half. Um, but just Oregon just dominating the, the, the possession here with 20 minutes of time of possession. Mm-hmm. And they're doing, I mean, the defense is kind of leading the way. It looks like Michigan thought they could come into this game, run the ball, and set up the yeah. pass. Mm-hmm. And it really goes the other way. And it seems like Aliotti had dialed it up that way, where he's like, we're going to take this away, and we're going to see what we can do about these receivers. Because even as talented as, you know, Edwards, Breast, and these other guys are, if they don't have time to get rid of the ball and go through these progressions. And another thing I kind of noted was Michigan, throughout the game, runs five-step drops. Yeah, I mean, they and do he nothing. struggles to make decisions off of those five-step drops. Mm-hmm. You're putting him where he has to read routes because they're deeper developing routes. I would have loved, I mean, as a Michigan fan, if you're watching this game, put him in shotgun. 
let them run some slant routes. Just, you know, boom, boom, get that ball out, get it to your talented wide receivers and see what they can do. And they just never go to it. Yeah, I mean, they kind of go to it late in the game and we'll get to it. Uh, with Like Breston hits that one. But, but never yeah. shotgun. They're no. still having the three to five step drops and you're yeah. just giving that Oregon secondary time to get into position or that D line to just get a better rush. Yeah, uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. And then the one thing that I really noted though is just the two quarterbacks, how different they are. Where it looked like Fife is going out there kind of being like the raw, raw, you know, I'm just going to get the ball in the end zone any way possible. And Kellen Clemens is going through a very methodical, very cerebral way of approaching the quarterback position, which we kind of see him develop into, you know, the the prototype NFL kind of guy you, later. That, like we talked about, you see those little morsels that he mm-hmm. shows those NFL scouts in this game, the footwork, the throwing on the run, the vision, the decision making, a lot of those things. Here's a question. If you take even Jason Fife and put him on that Michigan team, are they a better team than with them with they have with Navarre? Uh, you know, it's it's interesting to get like to watch them play because they talk about Navarre as if he's a very talented quarterback, but I never really see too much from him. He's a terrible decision maker. He's got <laughs> a good arm, and I think that's what Aliotti recognized because they're constantly putting him in positions where he's gotta make decisions. And he doesn't do a good job. No. I mean, like we've talked about, they have talent up and down the roster and he never seems to take advantage of it. The only time he really does is he's putting the ball in his wide receiver's hands and they take advantage of it and make a big play. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I'd say that you'd run the risk of if they had Fife would be, you know, the decision-making from Fife is a little more erratic. He, he definitely has the confidence behind his decisions, which mm-hmm. you don't see from Navarre, but that's not always a good thing. I think if you put Clemens on that Michigan team, I think Michigan boat races the Ducks. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially if you take Clemens away from Oregon and have Fife be the quarterback all game long. Yeah. I think that completely changes Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Good, good old half talk here. Um, good stuff. Again, Oregon comes in here to the second half, just dominating time of possession. You can almost see the the endurance coming into a play already here in this game, and I think that's something that does play out later in the game also. Um, another example of Oregon is forcing Michigan to play left-handed with another changeup here. Seagull comes out and pooch kicks the kickoff. Um, and Michigan just looks discombobulated. They have nobody really coming up to catch the ball. Yeah, two guys like, like run into guys. each other. Yeah, yeah, very. Oh man, Zuko. Whoo, crop dusting, man. He's making it tough to keep this pod focused. <laughs> um, but this is a nice uh, cornerback blitz here from the Oregon defense uh, to force a nice third and long on this possession and another incomplete pass from Navarre. Yeah, Justin Finney just comes like a bat out of hell. And they, I think they say it was his third sack of the season or second, it was second, second or sack third. of the season. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, early, in the, I mean, it's only the fourth game of the year. So, uh, I mean, Justin Finnessy was one of the better. I was kind of, as re-watching this, I was kind of thinking about where he ranks in Oregon corners. Because, I mean, this was a big developmental season for him, and he kind of gets better in the next year. But, I mean, showing off athleticism with these cornerback blitzes, which really only work if you have a guy who can go from, you know, standing there trying to sell that you're covering Explosive. this guy to just... Yeah, full uh, zero to sixty speed. He's the guy I'd forgotten about. I did not remember him at all in the uh, the cornerback um, lore, if you will, going back through Oregon's history. Um, totally forgot about him. Um, there's a couple guys in this roster that, I, like I mentioned, were some of my favorites. But again, a guy that he, he just kind of slipped my mind. So punt here from Michigan. Clemens comes out to start the second half. Um, Oregon gets a nice drive here. Um, kind of steals a field goal. I don't know if you have more notes about this drive, but I, I had a hard time watching this game and really staying and focus so this was kind of like all right Oregon gets a nice field goal here <laughs> yeah um I mean they go to Chris Vincent early they're kind of starting to run this uh halfback dive with some end round action this is where Blotty starts really bringing this in and uh that they shake out a couple times yep. yep 
and then they go they kind of attack it later in the game so you kind of starting to see Bilotti moving some of those pieces around those chess yep. pieces in this uh, early in the second half and they do put up that stat here where at this point in the game Michigan as a team has negative four rushing yards which mm-hmm. if you would have bet on that coming into the game you probably would have made a lot of money on that stat right there because um, this was a dominant rushing team was leading the country with over 300 yards rushing per game obviously only in three games and a couple cupcakes lead up to Notre Dame I mean three cupcakes if you want to call it that <laughs> uh, but again um, Michigan this was their Oregon took their identity away from them in this game and really made them play a different way and you could just see how uncomfortable they were the entire game which leads very nicely to our next play here where Stephen Moore off of his previous big play in this game gets another big play with a nice interception over the middle he was singled up with Braylon for a lot of this game a lot Mm -hmm. more than I would have been comfortable with I mean we talk later on about how his size really comes into play but he just wrestles this ball away this is a really nice pick well this is one where he kind of runs the route in front of him where Braylon Mm -hmm. Redwoods is coming from the slot and runs a post route and you kind of see it on the the replay where he's running a post route a good like three yards ahead of him where if Navarre would have adjusted to this he could have thrown it underneath and it would have been an easy completion And then uh, something, I mean, you just alluded to where they don't really, Michigan never picks on the size. No. So if you if you have Stephen Moore and Berlin Edwards, why have them run a deep post? I mean, you can kind of hot route that. Well, and it's interesting because we talked earlier and then this off pod how Edwards got like 22 targets in this game, yeah. but you still don't feel like they take advantage of him enough, which is, you know, really weird to say. I can't yeah. think of a better word to describe it. But it's just, it's fascinating that Oregon did just enough to kind of contain him in this game. I mean, he still goes off for like 13, 14 catches, 100 and something yards. Yeah, I mean, but he's they the most dominant player him. in the game by far, but yep. he could have done so much more damage. Mm-hmm. I mean, the talent level on this guy, he is by far the best player on the field. Yeah, like yeah, I this agree was, with that. It reminded me that. a lot of watching the last, the 2011 National Championship game where it was like Cam Newton. Yeah, man seemed, against like, boys kind yeah, of situation. Yeah, it just has a different look to him. He's out there just sunning some of those Oregon DBs. <laughs> yeah. and they throw, I mean, Aliotti throws the, the kitchen sink at him. Everybody, Every different yep. look that you can see. Well, and that's one thing is they did double cover him, even sink or triple cover him at times, and then also left him on an island. So they were throwing, at, like you said, just everything and really keeping Navarro off off his rhythm really Mm -hmm. doing a good job so um good defense here from Michigan on this next drive um Oregon does have a big hold which takes away a possible first down and a nice run from Kellen Clemens kind of stalls this drive a little bit um they mention here that it's an Otzen record crowd of 59,023 people shout out to all you Duck fans that were there for this game making this really struggles through talking about stand, their standing room only. Yeah, parts. he didn't understand that yeah. concept. <laughs> didn't understand that. It's like, yeah, your, your privilege is showing, Keith. <laughs> your privilege is showing. He's like, so they just like, what, they just don't sit down? <laughs> yep. So a couple uh, back and forth three and outs here. Um, defense from Oregon gets another good stand. Um, good pressure. Um, forces Michigan into their seventh punt of the game. So the Ducks really get the ball right back. Igor Oshansky plants Navarre on that third mm-hmm. down force that yep, punt. Another big hit from Igor. Gotta love that. Igor smash. Um, <laughs> Ducks get pinned here inside the five. And again, another big time stand here from the Michigan defense holding Oregon and make them punt from their own 10-yard line. So this third quarter just kind of back and forth 
forth here, back and forth. Um, Michigan gets really nice field position here at the 34-yard line of Oregon because it's just it's a it's a kick into the wind. Ball gets up a little bit too high, really gets held up there, the and they the don't get the bounce ever. Yeah, they don't get any kind of a bounce here. Um, Navarre again, really trying to force the ball into Braylon Edwards, uh, misses a chance in the end zone. He goes three straight Braylon Edwards yep. there to start this drive. And more, I mean, again, Stephen Moore is doing a good job here of trying to hold off Edwards. Um, he's mixing up his coverages. He's getting up and he's pressing. He's backing off of him. And almost Edwards looks a little frustrated at a couple times. And I don't know if it's because he's just tired or maybe he feels Navarre's not as accurate as he should be. But he doesn't go after a couple balls with as much gusto as you'd like to see him with his athletic freak nature. Even on that play on the end zone, it's kind of a jump ball. And it looks like Navarre kind of like the timing's off just a little bit. Where yep. Edwards jumps a little bit early and gives where he's kind of coming down when Stephen Moore is coming up and gives him that chance. And yeah, I think it did kind of like irritate him. Especially when you, <clears throat> you're as big as him. And you got this like five foot eight guy on you. <laughs> this like, little bro. mat in front yeah, of just you. Just like throw the ball in the air when I put my hand. Give me up. a chance. Yeah, give me a like, chance. I think this. is what he was frustrated about. And on that very next play um, is when Michigan really starts to use their other wide receivers to take advantage of what Oregon's doing. They get a nice completion here to Jason Avant over the middle. Really nice run after the catch here for Avant. Nice vision. I think he was down at the two-yard line, but he stretches out really nicely with the ball there, gets it over the end zone. The referees give him the touchdown. Yeah, Yet again, a play that should have been reviewed or replayed. Clearly down at the one-and-a-half-yard yep. line. I have him um, down at the two. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that one was bad. It was – that it, – it, when they come together, it, it looks like he's down. Yep. And then it just keeps going and keeps going, and the, the refs just kind of swallow their whistle at this point. Yeah. And they're like, well, he got over. It's like, yeah – when it's another play where Oregon has, I don't. It's not an all-out blitz because they do have the one safety over the top, but they're putting their corners on an island in this mm-hmm. situation. And finally, Navarre is able to take advantage and give give Avant a chance to really run after the catch because that's where Michigan wide receivers really do a lot of their damage in this game is after the catch. Well, in the one-on-one situations, it really where Oregon has the biggest problem is bringing the ball the the receivers down after they catch yep. it. It's not necessarily hanging with them in coverage. Yep. I mean, minus a couple plays, but absolutely. We'll even have a hard time bringing Navarre down, which, you know, comes yeah. up a little bit later on. So at this point we got Oregon 24, Michigan 13. I have in my notes right here, how good could this Michigan team have been with a good quarterback? I think they're an obvious national championship contender and winner. If you've got a guy that's just a step above Navarre, you know, to really keep, I mean, just a better game manager. Yeah. Um, so Jason five comes into the game for Oregon at quarterback, um, Oregon O-line doing a good job of clearing some lanes for Whitehead here on a nice couple runs. Whitehead taking advantage of some good vision. He's maybe, um, I think the announcers talk about here where he's maybe trying to do a little bit too much with his cutting, yeah. but he, he's seen a lot of good holes, and I think that's what he, he might almost be seeing too much. Yeah, he's, he's trying to do too much, where there's a couple times where he if he would have picked up the extra two yards on the first down, it would have set up like third and threes and like the sh- third and more manageable situations. Yeah. But he's kind of trying. He got that touchdown early and with this stable of backs that they kind of talk about, you almost got to try and, you know, make those big plays when yep. you have that opportunity. That's the downfall. And that's the type of back he was. Is he was elusive and he had incredible vision. So I don't fault him there for some of those moments where he was trying to do a little bit too much. I kind of put it a little bit on Bilotti where they're giving the ball to Whitehead on like first down when I would have loved to see Chris Vincent in these situations and then Whitehead on yeah. some like later downs. Mm-hmm. But 
That's neither here I think nor they there. show in this game that they don't trust Vincent's vision because he yeah. has he has some lanes that he misses earlier in this game, and I think they just decided to go with Whitehead. Well, he basically doesn't play in like the that's what I from mean. this point on. Yeah, they really yeah. they just don't trust him anymore. Yeah. Um, so some more Fife no huddle huddle here as uh, he's still. But again, it's not a hurry up. Really, just trying to identify what Michigan's in. Um, big pass interference here on the Michigan DB. Um, it was a real duck of a throw from Fife, but it actually helps because and, Parker's kind of coming back for it. Yeah. But it's a battle between Parker and the Michigan DB. I didn't. I, I wrote. It's a, there's no way that it's a tough PI. Yeah. There's his no hands way. inside, and so it's hard to see because he's he's extending the right arm. His left arm's kind of inside on maybe on the jersey. Maybe there's some tugging going on. Probably would have been a good no call because they were kind of battling back and forth. And something weird happened on this play too, where they run the no huddle, no huddle in a situation where they're kind of burning clock. And on this play, they snapped the ball with 12 seconds left on the play call. A little earlier. And I, it almost seems like Parker and him are like off a little bit, and that's kind of why it results in the yep. the, the play just looked so broken that the ref just threw a flag out there. That one well, again, it's that it's that classic situation where the wide receiver is trying to come back to a ball that's a little bit overthrown, uh -huh. and the DB just gets stuck. He's yeah. even looking back there at the end but I think it's just that early coverage with the left hand on the inside on the very next play though Jason Fife or yeah, Fife totally redeems himself he's getting pummeled here right after he gets rid of the ball but throws a just a prayer of a nine round up to Sammy Parker who runs underneath it really really nice throw here and then three more straight plays to Sammy Parker to get Oregon up to the 11. They're really trying to just pummel that Michigan defense and to expose that weakness. Yeah, and I mean, the play where uh, I said to Sammy Parker on the sideline, the defender falls down and it was, <laughs> the ball's just kind of given like that crazy spin. Amazing catch by Parker. Yep. Was, I don't know how he came down and bounced. I actually got two feet in. Well, that's what I mean. Fife just throws a prayer up as he gets pummeled. I mean, yeah. it's literally... I, <laughs> I saw like a gif from like an NCAA football game back in the day where the quarterback gets tackled, like flip, and he's backwards and he throws the ball like <laughs> over his head as his back is like down to the ground and it's like a touchdown. It's like that kind of a play yeah, exactly. almost. It's like you're throwing your controller basically if that would have happened to you. Um, first mention here of Dante Rosario, one of my again, favorite ducks. Um, he gets on the field here with some of these. Um, he was like a... Kind of a hatch, not a, well, not a hatchback. What would you call like a split end? Kind of, you know, some fullback, some tight end. There's a, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It starts with an H. You know uh, what I'm looking for here. Um, I can't think of it anyway, but he was a big bruiser of a running back here in the state of Oregon here for the high school level, set all kinds of records, was really, really fun. I was really high on him coming into Oregon and thought he was going to be a, an integral part of their success moving forward. Hit a lot of injuries, never really lived up to that kind of a potential, but just a fun guy to watch. Well, he did the coolest thing ever where he uh, like kicked that guy. You remember that? It was a kickoff. Oh, I want to say it was like the next season, a season after where, uh, man, he was on the kickoff team. And I think there was like a fumble or something. There was a guy in front of him and he like jumped and like Spartan kicked the guy in the chest. Oh, yes. Now I do remember that. Yeah, oh gosh. I mean, that's every time Dante Rosario's name is brought up. Sparta. I, I, yeah. I know if my some of my friends are listening, they'll probably text me about this later because I'm sure they remember it better than I do. But yeah, he just absolutely demolishes this person. He's like, what the hell was that? So into the fourth quarter we go. Um, this, the drive kind of stalls here for the University of Oregon in the red zone. Um, they bring in Siegel for the field goal attempt. And this is where things start to get even a little more weird. Um, again, Bilotti staying aggressive with his play calling all game long. 
this is where he may be, you know, there's a fine line between aggressive and crazy. He probably goes a little bit into the crazy realm here. Well, um, this just doesn't make any sense mathematically. Yeah, so, I think that the field goal is important because it is, it's a it's a close game here. The field goal, to 13. The field goal gives them the 14-point lead if they do it. And it's weird because Siegel almost like forgets they're going to fake it and does his normal lineup. Mm-hmm. And then right before the ball snap takes like two steps closer to Fife to make the handoff easier. But Michigan doesn't really buy in because their one end completely collapses trying to block it. And Siegel runs past him, but then ends up getting wiped out of the two-yard line. It was just kind of a poor fake design in general. I don't really like it. If you're going to do what they did, so basically they snapped the ball to Jason Fife as the holder. And he basically just hands it to Siegel as if it's a running play. Yeah. Like Jared Siegel's some sort of like they brought over one of the other, they brought over like a trap motion kind of uh-huh. to try to clear a lane for him. But Michigan wasn't lined up for the all-out block, so they had guys on the second level ready just to step up and fill the hole. And they're at like the three, so you got the five like yards. Five. Back. They're at the five, yeah. so it's like a literally like a twelve-yard run for Jared Siegel potentially to score this ball. So I mean, in my mind, if you're going to do that, why not just do the quick pitch and have one of those guards just completely pull and then just run it at the pylon. You know what I mean? I'll say this for Oregon. If you're if you're a kicker or a punter and you want the ball in your hands at times, Oregon's going to give you that chance. They're going to they're going to put you in some trickeration plays. They seem to do it. I mean, we've talked about it in, you know, previous requackables. You saw it even with this last Oregon football season. Yeah. They're going to give some of their special teams guys some chances. Yeah, they, you go lift weights for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Siegel comes off the sideline and you see everybody kind of patting him and he's got a walking big. Yeah, I took a hit. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, oh, that was my chance. You know, they, they I like that they're trying to give guys a they're having fun. You know, it's, yeah. it's a crazy play call, but it's fun. And you see Oregon, they don't necessarily lose the momentum. It's more Michigan seizing it and their sideline now really upping their tempo and their intensity. Well, and at this point, you know, Michigan hasn't done diddly squat on nothing. offense. No, and, nothing. And they're kind of like, all right, you know, if this happens, you get the ball. They end up getting the ball to two. Yep. So it's like, you know, you got to march 98 yards. But the downfall is that this gives Michigan the opportunity to get in rhythm. Exactly. This, this is, is the where, drive. Yeah, this, this is, is the drive. They, they get involved. So going into this drive, Michigan has a total of 137 total yards. So they are, I mean, struggling by and far. And like struggling. 75 of them are probably Braylon Edwards. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so they go right away to Edwards on this drive. Um, Navarre kind of getting into a nice, good rhythm here with a couple throws. But then right away, another bad throw from Navarre. And if he would have hit Edwards, he would have walked in for a touchdown. Yep. I mean, this was just a really, really poor throw from Navarre. Um, they do get him into field goal attempt range here, but a big false start with 12 minutes left on the clock actually backs them out of field goal range. So now they're going to go for it. Um, and again, they just keep force feeding Braylon Edwards the ball, especially in these big spots. He makes a really nice catch over the middle here, fights for a couple extra yards and gets the first down on a big fourth down. Um, Edwards with another catch on the very next play gets pummeled by three ducks helmet and gear and bandana mouthpiece flying all over the place and it's like Keith Jackson just kind of laughs about it it's just we don't watch football this way anymore yeah this is where you're seeing a little bit of that almost like a lack of compassion for the athlete if you will from the announcer it's that kind of like gladiator aspect of it it's a good way to put it yeah and yeah they don't there's no 
like mention of Brandon Edwards' like personal health at all in this situation. They say and that he goes off the field, but it's like they giggle almost. About yeah, it. and he gets his hel- his helmet goes like six yards yeah. off his head. Three ducks pummel him. Yeah, he's kind head. of fighting for an extra yard, and then I don't know who it is. It might be Keith Lewis because uh, it's like a safety just comes over the top and just like <laughs> brings him to the ground. But like, yeah, I don't know who the third him. duck was yeah. there that got him. But yeah, it was a big time hit. Big time. If it hit. was current day, it would have been Nick Pickett. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. And then he would have got beat on the next play. <laughs> exactly. Um, so speaking of which, on the next play, um, the Ducks once again bring that all out blitz and Michigan finally really catches them, takes advantage. Um, the wide receiver makes a really nice rolling catch um, in the end zone for the touchdown through kind of a, a mess of two ducks and another wide receiver. I don't know who Navarre was really throwing the ball here to, but he's right. got two guys in the vicinity and a really nice catch here. But I think it was Avant that makes that catch. That was Steve Breston. Was that Breston? Yeah. Okay, Breston for the touchdown. So Michigan here, 19, Oregon 24. Michigan comes out and goes for two. This is a big-time NFL play here by Braylon Edwards. And Navarre really trusts him, throws him the ball at about the two-yard line, three-yard line. And Braylon Edwards just makes a man play where he takes, I think it's Mitchell, kind of on his back there and just bullies him into the end zone for the two-point conversion. Another play where I'm not 100% sure he got in there, though. Very close. It yeah, very, very his, close. It Would I like say replay, knee. exclamation point. Yeah, it was definitely. coming down yeah. like right as he was about to reach it over. But then it looks like his knee like t- like kind of touched the ground and came back mm-hmm. up. So it was I mean it was really tough. But this game is completely different if played now. I mean oh, the, yeah. the replays completely changed the outcome and just the story of this game. So Michigan gets that big two point conversion. They've seized the momentum again. Thirteen play, ninety eight yard drive, including the big fourth down conversion. There's eleven minutes left in the game. Michigan's only down by three, and you start to feel in the stadium. The tides start to shift a little bit here, and I think Oregon it's, fans are getting nervous. And I think it's right around this time where ABC flashes the graphic of like you know epic losses for Oregon, like five <laughs> really bad losses over the last two years. So it, it, there's some some bad things coming back into the psyche for Oregon fans at this point. And then what happens on the kickoff? But the third illegal procedure of yep. the game. Yeah. yeah. How, I mean that's crazy. Weirdness. Yeah. A lot of weirdness, wackiness on special teams. They have Fife come in here to start the drive for the Oregon offense, but they really start to play through Whitehead again. He makes a nice run to start the drive. Again, I'm really just impressed with his vision in this game. Um, Dante Rosario makes a huge catch here coming out of the backfield. Again, this is his freshman season. This play is kind of the play that gets remembered, I think. He has another couple nice games for the Ducks as the season goes along. But this was kind of a coming out play for him, if you will, literally out of the backfield up the sideline. Yeah, it was a really cool, uh, (laughs) with the way that they were using, we kind of talked about earlier, flip-flopping Dante Rosario and Tim Day from the tight end of the fullback position. And this play, you have... Dante Rosario leak out into the flats and they go kind of, it was like kind of a play action where they just kind of like it, yep. it stick the ball Click out fake. there and then uh, and then hit Dante Rosario and get picks up well, like 12 after the catch nice it, chunk it was a gain of 21 there was yeah. a lot of it was after the catch nice chunk so on the next play, Fife has Sammy Parker open, misses him against the Michigan zone. Again, just the timing is off there. And I don't know if that's because, you know, Fife's not getting as many first team reps because Parker's coming off of an injury. But just things were a little bit off there where we could have had a big touchdown. Right and then also, it's the third time, I put it in a note in this, uh, it's the third time that Sammy Parker's been overthrown when he was pretty clearly open. Yes. But you also kind of wonder, this just dawned on me, if, you know, he was normally a step faster. Exactly. The injury, I think, 
think comes into play and just the lack of reps during the week you know you mm-hmm. didn't even you know yeah came out of the game against Arizona the previous week like you mentioned in the previous earlier in the podcast how he was questionable even playing this game yeah so for him to be out there you can't imagine he's playing at 100% um, Michigan gets their first sack of the game um, here deep in the fourth quarter. Um, big time sack here, kind of stalls out the drive here for Oregon. So they're forced to punt. Um, another good opportunity here for special teams. Um, the Ducks pin Michigan deep in their own zone. Um, nice throw here from Navarre to kind of get him out of the shadow of the end zone. Um, Duck defense continues pressure, gets another nice sack here. I don't know who got that sack. I didn't write it here in my notes, but just continued pressure. Yeah, continued pressure. And this is where he starts to really impose his will on that interior of the offensive line. You hear his name called a couple times Mm -hmm. here in the fourth quarter. I think he has two sacks. Making a couple plays. Yeah, a couple big plays here. Um, Edwards incomplete here in between four ducks. Just another example of how just Navarre is really trying to force feed him the ball. And they've had a lot of success going to Breston, going to Avant. And so it's kind of curious how they just, they're not using him in the appropriate way, either as a decoy or going to him where they, he is actually open. Well, then I noted on this drive, they start uh, shadowing Braylon Edwards with Keith Lewis in a bracket for most of this drive. So then on a third down, it's like they throw it to him and he's like, couldn't be more covered. Yeah, and it's be, it's really good coverage there yeah. from the Oregon secondary. So again, Michigan forced to punt, and Oregon hadn't really got you know good pressure on a punt earlier in the game. Didn't really have any kind of a precursor to this, but Keith Lewis has a history of this. They mentioned it earlier in the game how he had seven career blocked kicks, and <laughs> which is insane. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot of block hits, and um, the announcers love this play. How um, Dan Fouts just mentioned how they just take the personal protector into the punt, big time block. Lewis gets it with like his shoulder and with his helmet. Um, ball's kind of rolling around, rolling he gets around. Kind of like turned yeah. as he's getting in. Like he, he blocks it with his back. Yeah, it's a personal protector, and he's kind of turning him where it was like almost like a slow developing he's hold. He's being held. Yeah. yeah, and then just kind of like it, it almost hits him in like the back of the head. Yep. Ball bounces around a couple times. One Oregon player has it, fumbles it, gets picked up in the end zone. Oregon touchdown. The momentum just comes swinging back. The crowd is just going absolutely crazy right now. Um, Oregon now extends their lead. Oregon 31, Michigan 21. Um, at this point, we are a little over halfway through the fourth quarter. 656 left. Yeah, so it's, it's again, a big play here in the game. Maybe the biggest play in the game, actually. Oh, I'd say absolutely, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, it seemed like, I mean, Oregon's getting the ball back. The defense is still playing well, but... It the whole game is starting to slow down, and yep. Michigan's starting to like their their offense has finally put together a couple drives where the defense can get a deep breath on the sideline. Things are starting to go Michigan way. Uh, it seems like in a game that was out of their hands, like it didn't take much for it to get back within reach. Yeah, they just had to yeah. have a couple good drives, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom, we can win this game. Well, and that's where Oregon didn't do a good enough job just taking this game and running away with it. Which is almost like what Vladi tried to do with the fake field goal. Yeah. He was like, let's just let's go and get a touchdown. But like, why would you wait until that yeah. situation? We needed more of that earlier in the third quarter. Exactly. We needed some some bigger play action, maybe nine rounds, some pushes down the field, things of that nature that just weren't there. So Navarre getting that Michigan team rolling again, driving down, gets them over midfield. Just a really bad throw here to the sideline, though. Overthrows his receiver. And a nice duck pick here with Justin Fennessey. No return, really, um, but a nice catch. Yeah, he kind of just... It was a play where Navarre just doesn't look. 
Uh, he just throws the ball to Braylon Edwards on the sideline. Yeah, Pat Mahomes is the only one that can throw no-look passes. <laughs> and uh, Infinity's just there. He's yep. in between the quarterback and the wide receiver, and he just throws it on a line to him. I mean, it's like one of the most like gift-wrapped, un- unimpressive <laughs> big-time interceptions ever. It's like a, it's like a literal game-winning interception that was like, oh, that was cool. Not quite game-winning though, well, okay. as we will continue <laughs> to get to. So again, Oregon in a great position to just put this game away. Some weird play calling. The game just continues to be wacky. Um, it's a third and eight, run to Whitehead, kind of a pitch outside. You'd mentioned you actually got here as I was re-watching the game here in the fourth quarter. First pitch they'd run all game long, and it's kind of a weird opportunity for it to come. And then on fourth and eight, I mean, I made the comment to Shane, it almost looked like the, the Oregon coaching staff thought it was still third down. Yeah. Because they let the play clock just tick away, tick away, tick away. They keep the offense on the field some discombobulation it looks like Clemens isn't really settled and then it's just a run up the middle very strange play call here on fourth and eight terrible play call and you know now we have to punt it back yeah it in uh it's the play or where, excuse me it's not a punt back Michigan gets the ball because it's fourth and eight yeah and it's a play where I mean they're kind of setting up like oh great so they're probably just gonna you know go out there Hut, hut, do those hard counts, try and get him to jump. Play game. And then they snap it. And it's like was six like, seconds left on the play clock, too. <laughs> and it's like, oh, uh, wait. And Dan Fouts is just like, what are they doing? Audibly, like, what is going on? <laughs> it just, it doesn't make any sense. It, it The thing is, too, if you're going to take the penalty, it would set up, like, a, a better situation for the better punter. Punt. Like, everything yeah. was just saying, just take, take the penalty. Yeah. But you don't know if Bilotti forgot what down it was. You don't know if Jason Fife accidentally snapped the ball. You was don't it know Fife if, still in there at the game, or was it Clemens? I don't have it in there. Who's in there for the Ducks and quarterback? Oh, it's Clemens. It's Clemens. Um, But just, yeah, very strange. Very, very strange. So anyway, Michigan takes over there, um, completes that pass to Edwards, gets him right over midfield. So at this point, there's 235 left in the game. Michigan's driving. Um, Really, you know, again, some, some tight Duck fans there in the stadium. Um, another all-out blitz from Oregon. Uh, Breston breaks the one tackle, ends up scoring on a nice run after the catch here from 30 yards out. And it's just the the stadium at this point is it's a weird it's a weird mood it's a weird vibe it's a weird vibe. Especially the ease in which Breston scores. Yes. He catches it five yards beyond the line of scrimmage and then just runs 25 yards basically untouched. Just one beats one man. I can't remember this poor DB's name. It was a. Uh, is it Moore? No. It was, was it Steven? No, it wasn't Steven Moore. No, that it was uh, in there. Woods. Oh, Woods. Devon, Devon Woods or something yeah, like where that. Yeah, where he's just, he gets keeps getting put on an island against Steve Breston and just cannot stay with him. And he gets burned on the game earlier where it's a post route. Uh, Brandon Edwards just makes one hard move to the outside. He's gone. Uh, that was one of the third, it was a third and long that Michigan had picked up. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's... The, there's a couple players on Oregon's defense that are really struggling, and Aliode actually does a really good job of hiding those players. Yeah, no, he does a good job of confusing the Michigan offense the entire game long. So, you thought the wackiness was over. <laughs> Not yet, my friend. <laughs> um, and Michigan lines up for a PAT, and it's just a weird kick. It's really, really low, and Oregon's able to block it just by getting a big bear pop on the line. Yeah, Igor Oshansky blocks it yeah. without jumping. Yeah, well, he's huge. He's like six foot seven. so yeah, that is I mean, a large man. He just man. puts his hand up, which, I mean, the trajectory, I would have loved to see how that ball would have ended up had it not been blocked. Yep. Like, that might have hit the crossbar. Yeah, so we've got 31-27 Oregon, and again, you thought the wackiness was over. No, no, not so fast, my friend. Michigan with the onside kick here, and Tim Day tries to jump and like attack the ball, like I'm sure he's been told by his special teams <laughs> coach. But it's like a he like 
it's like that scene in Major League where he's going sliding into second and he comes up like three feet short. <laughs> he's like, come on, come on. He just comes up short of the ball and then tries to reach out and grab it and just bobbles it off of him. Michigan with the easy recover. Yeah, and Bre- again, Braylon Edwards of all people. Yep. And again, we've got some weird energy in the stadium. So Michigan recovers the ball. At this point, Michigan has 222 total yards in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, literally more than doubles their output for the entire game in one quarter. Um, they take over on the fourth. 40-yard line. Navarra is an awful throw here on first down. It really kind of put them behind the eight ball. Really doesn't give them a chance to get aggressive like you'd like to be in that situation. Jason Avant was like the most underused player yeah. I've ever and seen. And he's frustrated. Yeah. You can see the frustration. And the clock's ticking away here. Neither team has a timeout. Um, Edwards, um, a man against boys here with a big-time catch literally over the top of Stephen Moore. Stephen Moore's right in front of him, and he just catches the ball and takes it away from him like a, a dad taking away a candy from a child. Yeah, it was almost like Brandon Edwards caught it, told Stephen Moore he could have the ball and keep it forever, and then said, psych, and just yanked it right back. Yep. I mean, Stephen Moore didn't have a chance. And that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. I was... In short yardage situations, or even on first downs, I was kind of surprised we didn't see more just short curls with Brandon Edwards, and just especially when you get those man-man looks, and just put the ball high. Get him in these jump ball situations. Let him box this guy out. More fade routes. Just put him in situations where he can just go be the athlete that he is, and they didn't do it well enough. Because that was his... 13th reception was that one. That's yeah. insane. And like we talked about, almost 22 targets. Yeah. So, again, kind of a weird drive here for Michigan. They put themselves in a really, really bad situation. Third and 19. Um, they get a nice catch here for 12 yards. Puts them in a manageable fourth and seven. And just inexplicably bad pass here from Navarre to Edwards. Edwards isn't able to come down with it, and it's game over. Is it? Because Keith Jackson says, and now it is fourth down. And there's about a nice, like, eight-second buffer before Dan Fouts is like, nope. Nope, game over. Yep. <laughs> Michigan doesn't have any more timeouts. Yep, no, that was pretty much perfect there. And just put a nice little uh, encapsulation on the announcers and their incredible job you, Keith during Jackson this game. just completely punts this one. Yep. It was so bad. But, pretty, and then pretty it, solid. It really, that, the play, uh, sorry, the point after on the touchdown prior would change the end of that game so much because if it was a three-point game, Michigan could have you know handled the end of that game completely differently, yeah. even with no timeouts. Absolutely. When you're starting the ball at 44. Yeah. That's pretty favorable field position Absolutely. move in like a minute. Um, and especially with the re- – I mean, just the receivers at that point are all, you know – I mean, minus Braylon Edwards, who we had to saw had to come out of the game once because he's just gassed. Yeah. Because not only is he getting 22 targets, but they're sending him on go routes like every other play. Well, there's that incompletion in the end zone where you see he lays on the ground for a solid three or four seconds before he pops up, and that's when he ends up getting subbed out as he's just exhausted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely exhausted. So, big time win for Oregon. Again, a, a program-defining win, if you want to call it, with all the attention, the national media that they had at that time. Unfortunately, again, they aren't able to really capitalize on it and keep the momentum rolling with Washington State coming in the next week and just, you know, beating the brakes off of them. But a fun game, fun rewatch. I really enjoyed going back and watching. Even though it was kind of a, it was a hard game to watch, it was still entertaining. Well, it had, I mean, out of all the games that we could possibly do this with, this was probably the wackiest. As far as just it was pretty wacky. teams play, like, the, the momentum changes start, like, go from being all Oregon for so long to the momentum just kind of bouncing back and forth there in late third quarter to the end of the game. And the fact that, like, Michigan was so out of it, I know I kind of just went over this, but, like, it seems like they just don't have a dog in this fight at all. 
And then all of a sudden, they're down what should have been three points with like two minutes left. Yep, yep. It's the way college football works sometimes. Yeah. And I would argue that maybe that 06 Oklahoma-Oregon game might be a little wackier. And that's another one that we could do a requackables on. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, we Adrian should see, Peterson we should coming see if into that full game's on there. Yep, we'll have to look for that. So getting into some of our awards here as we've wrapped up the game. Um, let's go best scene. So we'll go best play. Best play of the game here first. Um, I think I gotta go the block. I think I gotta go the Keith Lewis block where he takes the guy just into him, and you know it. it, it that touchdown seizes the momentum back and puts Oregon in the position to win the game. My favorite play of the game, what I what I would have for best scene, isn't necessarily the best play of the game, but it is the the kickoff before. Let's see. So when Michigan scores their last touchdown, the kickoff that started that drive, the kick returner drops it for Michigan. Picks it up, but he's still able. He kind of finds a seam down the sideline. Goes well, about 30 yards. Yep. He, like, jumps over a guy. And then Jared Siegel just plants it. <laughs> like, it was almost like some sort of, like, WWE finishing move where he's going. And, I mean, Jared Siegel, at this point, like, he's had two illegal procedures. He's uh, He's been stuffed on a fake field goal. Like, it's he's a rough had day. the gambit. And it's almost like he just takes out, like, ah! I'm taking out his whole day on this guy. And they, they kind of, like... They mention it, but they don't go back and show a replay. And it's one of the better tackles you ever see from a kicker. Especially, you don't really get a lot of chances on kickoffs. Like, I mean, you normally, even when they have their, like, touchdown savers down the field, you don't get to, like, use full momentum and yeah. come in and just finish somebody like that. So I'd go with uh, Jared Siegel. I'll go with you that one. I like that one. I like that one. So that's that's our best play here of the game. Um, age the best, age the worst. I think, you know... I think instant replay is kind of on both sides of this. You know, the fact that they don't have it is age the best, but also it's age the worst because, it, you know, who knows what this game would have looked like if they would have actually had it. But I also really enjoyed watching the game without the replay. Yeah, that's It was nice to not have it slowed down the whole time. What do you have for age the best or age the worst? Uh, for age the best, I have dual quarterback looks. I, oh, okay. I, I feel like this kind of thing is kind of, or this strategy is kind of taking a backseat once the, kind of like the wildcat came in and then... Now you have a lot of quarterbacks, especially in college football, who are like run first quarterbacks. You don't really see this um, throughout the game, just kind of going back between two guys. I mean, you, you see it in smaller samples than you do. Like this game was just completely normal for two quarterbacks to come in whenever. Seamless. Yeah, it's yeah. true. That's like they don't a make point. a big deal about it at all. Yeah. And then uh, what age is the worst? I had uh, instant replay, not having it. And then. Um, Mike, Mike Pilotti play calls in clutch situations were just struggle. Like four for four, just atrocious calls. Yeah, a little bit of a struggle. I might also throw in here for age the worst, Keith Jackson and Dan Fouts in the booth. You know, I think that's definitely age the worst. Just uh, had, some some good old boys that were their time had come and gone. Yeah, I had Keith Jackson Keith Jackson for my picking nits. Oh, uh, okay, I like it. I, like it seems like Fouts. Fouts had a hard job that day just trying to keep Keith Jackson paying attention to like down distance yeah and like uh, we kind of try and put game notes in here as we're like explaining an entire game of like what time and what down it was for these situations and a lot of times they just didn't even give us that information well and continuing we can just jump in here into picking nits now I mean ABC not even doing a good job of keeping the the, the scoreboard score up yeah. on the, and the down and distance up it was just it was a it was a poorly produced game yeah it seems like, it, like on some of those final drives in the fourth quarter ABC was like we don't need to show them the score they know they've been watching build up the suspense yeah and it's just like and then you'll see 
like a, a couple of these plays to Brian Edwards, and you're like, man, I'd love to see what his stat line is right now. Exactly. Like, yeah, they, they show it like twice, and he has one of the better games. I we could probably go back, but I mean, as far as like Apex Mountain, like Braylon Edwards, I, yeah. does he ever have a better game than this? This is true. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves with the with Apex okay. Mountain. But um, did you have any other picking nits? No, it was just the the overall broadcast. Keith Jackson, Dan Fouts being kind of a homer was, I. I never really like it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's weird. It's awkward. Um, I would go no playoffs. You know what I mean? Going all the way back to, you know, just the way that they, they kind of finalize the national championship for this season and, you know, no BCS even during this time. So just, you know, NCAA football has come a long way now. So football fans be grateful that we have this four team playoff and we may get an expansion here soon, Probably. but let, let's be grateful that we have what we have now. So, Apex Mountain, you mentioned it. I think Braylon Edwards, yeah. I mean, this season, maybe just alone at Michigan, but this was definitely one of his better games. Yeah, I mean, just he was asked to do so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. having 20 targets is, yeah. I mean, every receiver, like, they love to get the ball thrown their way, but I mean, they really make him work, too. Yeah. And then sending him on decoy routes way down the field yeah. and all this other stuff. Um, I have uh, Mike Bellotti's mustache, Apex Mountain. I think definitely never looked better. It's nice, nice and clean, nice and crisp. Maybe even just Mike Bellotti in general. Maybe, yeah. Does I he mean, really have a better game than this? Well, I mean, it's it's tough to say like if some of these things are his fault, like that fourth down call. Because I mean, I think that's inexcusable. Unless it was like, hey, do this, and then Colin Clement or like the center snapped the ball and just went completely rogue. But there was a couple couple play calls. And at this time, we know he was doing a lot of the play calling on the offense. Uh, where I put my Apex Mountain, Aliotti. I mean, as far as okay, like dialing something up yeah. uh, defensively, they completely take Michigan out of the game until, what, we said 6.56 in the third quarter? Basically, is yeah. Is when they finally start to get any momentum on offense? Well, and I would, my argument for Bilotti Apex Mountain is that Bilotti tried to Bilotti himself, and they still won the game. <laughs> yeah, I guess you know, and, and it's still, it's probably, one of, again, one of the biggest wins in program history. It kind of sets the recruiting, you know, for the next couple of years for Oregon, really get them into Texas and some bigger areas in California and Well, I mean, the like Big that. Ten was paying attention. Absolutely. Which got, it was Absolutely. very important. Um, anybody else for Apex Mountain? Well, as you mentioned it before we recorded, uh, Autzen Stadium. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it was a had, record crowd. They've had some some changes to the stadium itself since then, but you could the it is so loud there for Even this on the game. broadcast. On the broadcast, in, there's several games that I might throw up there, like uh, um, Fright Fest, you know, the Halloween game mm-hmm. versus USC a couple years ago. Um, but I mean, this is one of the bigger games in Autzen Stadium history, so I think it's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of games at Autzen Stadium for sure. Yeah, I could agree with that. But yeah, I mean, at this time, probably the biggest win at Austin. Yeah. Oh, by, at this time history. by far. Yeah. yeah. And then moving forward, we've had some since. But yeah, I think at that point, I mean, the Oklahoma game, like we mentioned in 06, was a huge game also, just beating a guy like Adrian Peterson. And they've had some other, you know, like the USC game, you know, some other big upsets, some other big finalizations for seasons and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think at that time, by far, I mean, it was a, it was, if it was a festival, shame. <laughs> and then uh, Dion Waiters Ward. Jason Fife? I went Stephen Moore. Yeah, I like I like Moore, you know, with the big, the interception, the, the punt return. The punt return. You know, Fife just running that no huddle and kind of keeping things off balance. Um, I would go, I'd say more like... Keith Lewis? We don't normally do the Joey Pants, but I'd say like Dion Moore, 
or uh, Dion Waiters would be Stephen Moore, and then Joey Pants would be Jason Fight. That's valid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Joey Pants are LA. <laughs> no, I like that. that. That's a good. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. yeah okay. Keith, I like Keith it. Lewis makes a cup. He makes the big, the big pump block his eighth of his career, and this is the fourth game of his senior year, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but the, the secondary, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I Keith Lewis definitely had better games than this. So it's kind of hard to say. That's like, true. This isn't one that I think stands out, although he did make some big plays. Yeah. Um, but they kind of take him out of the game for a little bit. And then the the Michigan passing attack is weird. I don't know. I just wouldn't say like the secondary was like the standout part. Right. It was almost like the front four plus linebackers kind of set the stage for that secondary. In this well, game. and what Moore was able to do on special teams, like you said, kind of set him apart. So I like that. I would almost maybe give Siegel the Dion Waiters Award. See, that's it, what I was kind of thinking, just because he was there. so... Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he was no. very Waiters-esque. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very Waiters-esque. Lots of heat checks. Yeah, lots of, right. No, 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 no. I think Siegel. I think Siegel's the winner there. I think, I think you're right, yeah. So last category here. I think this one's pretty obvious. Who wins the game? I think it's just the Oregon program. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I think mean, it's just I mean, Oregon football, yep. Eugene, Oregon, all of us as fans. The Nut House. The Nut House is the winner. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was this was a big deal. This was on the cover of Sports Illustrated afterwards. Um, I mean, Eugene, we hadn't had yeah, it was like four and zero and something, right? That was yeah, the, yeah. Uh-huh. And it was just like there was there was so much like you know just building like. I think with so much uncertainty post Joey Harrington and just kind of like, you know, will we ever have, you know, a, a national talent like this again? Or like, will the program ever be the same? Just because there was so much disparity between, you know, like the Bill Musgrave era to the Joey Harrington era. Um, I mean, there's, you know, the Dan Fouts and uh, Ahmad Rashad's of the world in between. But this is this is it because this was a big article. So it's Jason Five scampering over and says dazzling ducks, rich cool and 4-0 and because this is when money was really funneling into the program for the Knights for the for, for University of Oregon and Nike was really it was a big deal that Nike was giving so much money to the University of Oregon and that article kind of brought a lot of things to light that I think some Duck fans didn't know about yeah very true very true it was kind of the start of like the Nike U era mm-hmm Rich, cool, and 4-0. I think we have the, uh, the title of our podcast. <laughs> Rich, cool, and 4-0. I like that. Yeah, so, I remember like getting that Sports Illustrated, and like I think I framed it even. You can get it used on eBay right now for $5 good, if you'd like to. Good thing yes. I didn't hold on to it because right? I thought it would be worth a lot more right? than it was. 13-year-old <laughs> well, me, though, was really Ducks, onto had something. Had the season they wanted yeah. to that season, yeah. you know, maybe it would have been worth a lot more. Yeah, I mean, even if that would have been a Rose Bowl berth, I mean, that would have been a huge, yep. yeah. Yeah. So uh, no into club segment this week, obviously, with club sports not happening. However, I will give a shout out to men's club volleyball. They are currently in a virtual voting for national champions. Um, So if you want to check out the U of O women's club basketball Instagram, they have a link on there where you could go vote and support the U of O men's club volleyball team. Go give them some love. Go give them a a follow, a like, a vote. We'll kind of call that our into club segment this week if you want to. And again, a no real social spotlight this week with things are just kind of, you know, they're weird out there right now. We've talked about Dennis Dixon in the past, you know, go follow We don't want to do Haley Cruz a third time. Yeah, (laughs) definitely do Haley Cruz. She's obviously throwing up a lot of good content. Shout out, you know, um, Oregon softball getting three um, All-Americans. Also, I saw that this week, so Mm -hmm. big for them. And the the shortened, you know, weird vacated season that they kind of had. 
again, yeah, not really a lot to go on. I can't think of anybody else for social spotlight. So, I mean, at this point, I would just say, like, we all have a lot of time on our hands. We all use social media. Just go and, like, interact with any and all of these people. There, yeah. A lot of them are doing a lot of really fun stuff, and they're trying to really stay involved. And then, I mean, uh, Peyton Pritchard has been using social media a lot to campaign, kind of getting his name out there. Trying to the, engage a little bit, For too. the NBA draft coming up, so... Uh, it'll be a lot of big things. It'll be, the NBA draft will be fun to cover. Yes. The NFL draft will yes. be fun to cover coming up NBA here soon. NBA draft. NBA um, draft. I am so, so excited for that. We got both of those things coming up. We might do something live for the Justin Herbert draft. We'll yeah. see. Oh, yeah. We got to do it for the Sherbert draft for mm-hmm. sure. Because he could... Yeah, I had listened to another really interesting podcast today where... NFL's not very high on Mr. Sherbert. Well, it's it depends on which article you read. Because then I, there was a mock that came out on Yahoo the other day that has him going number one. Yeah, I don't trust anything that Yahoo puts out. I do think there's an interesting conversation Quick to be bait. had between Tua and Burrow, though. And I think that's something mm-hmm. I've listened to on a couple pods that I think is really interesting. But before we get too off topic here, because we could go all day on the Flock Pod, we appreciate you. If you are still listening, we love you. Thank you for your time. Once again, please go give us you know, a like, a share. Give us a follow on Instagram, on Twitter. Join the Flockness over on Facebook. We are at the Flock Pod on all of those platforms. I myself am at Coach Justin D. Very easy to find. We love you. Thank you. We out. Peace. I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I give. Sorry.
Shout a little bit louder now. 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 Shout a little bit louder now.